Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to pack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Today, May 11th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today for all those that have stayed out late, at least for T-Lav. It's a late start for us today, but there was a lot to get to, a lot to try to include. And I'm going to try to, you know, this is going to be a long show for those that are looking for that. You'll be excited for those that... Yeah, there'll they'll be clips. Don't worry. <laughs> It'll probably be a very long show. Um, but this is going to be an important one in regard to a lot of topics that we've been covering in, in kind of the the social psychological operation realm, like the like the transgender discussion. And as for those that are new to this channel, that does you'll, you'll see my discussion in this. And that's not probably what you think. It's there. It's, you know, just very quickly. The point being is this is a topic that is being used against everybody, including the trans community. And it is not what it appears to be. And that's very obvious that this is wildly politicized, but that does not mean that there's that every trans person is trying to sexualize your children or any number of overlaps that we're seeing. And usually it comes from the ridiculous two-party paradigm. But it's important to understand that there are real obvious risks in all of this, both to your children because of the agenda, not necessarily just any trans person, but because, and, and as well as the, the, the way it's been politicized in an international way that is pushing these kind of ideas on your children and, you know, and adolescents for that matter around the world in a guise of, of equality and, and, and education. And it is probably one of the hardest things I have to go over. It really does just kind of make my skin crawl. And we recently went over one from the UN. Well, the, 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 the excuse me, the WHO just followed up with their own version. And it is basically the same concept. And I'm going to get into what I think this is really about. We're going to go over that and how that, that topic overlaps with the transgender concept. Not because, again, any transgender person should be suspect. Really, you know, the point is, is anybody is capable of being that kind of person, of being a bad person, of being a sexual predator. Anybody's capable of that. Well, let's put it this way. I don't mean that every person on the street could potentially be that or decide to. My point being is that you could, well... <laughs> Trying to make it sound clear, to make it clear. The point being is that anybody, to from your knowledge, but you don't know anybody, could be that kind of person. I guess this makes sense. My point being is that not every single person I think is even capable of that. But ultimately, that it is a risk that is always there. My point, ultimately, to make it super clumsy, is about not just a trans person, right? It could be a straight person, it could be a gay person. Anybody out there has, you know, could eventually be that, and that's something that is not really discussed that it seems to be hyper-focused on certain kinds of, you know, the, the non-normal per person. And this is, again, all of this ties back to the two-party paradigm. I, my opinion would be that the average person is, is at the very least, you know, whether, like, in this, from my standpoint, that I feel that I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Christian, and I have my very, I have certain beliefs that I feel strongly about. But I can maintain both of those in the context of, well, 
I feel a certain way, but it's their choice and they can do what they want with their body. And of course, if that begins to overlap with a child or my children, well, there's a big problem right there, regardless of whether you, you know, and you know where all this goes. And the problem is that it gets so mired in outrage and victimhood. And ultimately the real problem gets missed. And that's what I think is by design. We're going to actually start off today with a discussion of the border that I had recorded with with Derek bros yesterday and talk about a few things and play that clip right out of the gate. Cause I do think it's important to see what's going on there. Derek being very close going back and forth between Texas and Mexico to talk about his perspective there, which I think is probably what you'll want to hear if you care about the truth, as opposed to the partisan extreme sides. Now we're also going to get into the, well, the mRNA conversation, but specifically around the pregnancy aspect of this and how we've really been harping on this topic. But I want to go into it again to show you some upsetting developments and what's currently being discussed, as well as an overlap with infants and myocarditis. That is it's just all of this stuff is just hard to wrap your mind around. But then we're also going to go into a the what I'm just going to kind of continually call going forward, the Lieber Langer overlap. So in case I have new information, I have to layer it all in the title, just Lieber Langer, so you know what I'm talking about. But ultimately, this ties into the bigger picture of the nanotechnology, where all this seems to be going, and how it does very clearly tie in to this like middle step in all of it that is this COVID-19 injection. Now, I had a really great interview today with uh, Destiny Resendez from Twitter, and that'll be going up tomorrow. But a lot of this kind of opened my mind in the conversation that I had with her today. And we're also going to talk about climate change the Great Reset, and how right now we're seeing things that are exposing that agenda and how it all seems to be guiding us in the same direction from every angle we look at, every agenda, which should tell you something. Well, let's start today with the border conversation. Again, I had a really great conversation with Derek on the Conscious Resistance yesterday about the Charles Lieber connection. And that that'll, that you can check that out. I had that on the show yesterday where you guys can look at the links. Um, but this is what we talked about on this little segment I'm going to play for you in a minute. And, you know, oh, technically I should have, I guess, pretended that we did it live, but I have a different code on, so it's not going to work. But we have ultimately, for those that have been paying attention, this kind of, it's sort of like we talked about with the Venezuela situation when that was the focus, where there was the caravan and the migrants and the whole conversation. And as always, the two-party paradigm clouds the issue. Yes, there is a problem. Obviously, no matter what, you know, for a moment, putting aside the Con- the context and why it's happening and the motivated all the you know u.s foreign policy and all the different parts of it regardless of any of that yes this is an issue that needs to be dealt with whenever you have this much of an influx regardless of what you know it could be all children for that matter the point is you have that many people all coming through it's going to cause a problem even ju- maybe just infrastructure wise but then of course you have grown men and women and families and all of a sudden then there's other risks there's crime There's sexual abuse. There's all sorts of things that happen. And that's not because they're coming from a certain area or because they have a certain skin color. It is just because that's what tends to happen when a lot of human beings end up in this kind of situation. So that reason I'm saying that is because it shouldn't be dismissed that these places like Texas, for example, are dealing with a problem. And that's not meant to diminish the people or their plight, but that is something that is a problematic situation. Now, that being said, we very clearly have to acknowledge the fact that there's let's let's be very honest about this. And I think we like that on this show. This is not about fighting for a better life. Now, maybe some of these people genuinely feel that way. And and that's up to them, because I'm not going to say that there's not things that they might want to achieve in this country that they might not be able to achieve elsewhere. But at the end of the day. Most of these people are very aware of two things right now. One, that the illusion that we most Americans tell themselves about the bastion of freedom that we once thought this country was, it's not what it is today. 
And, I'll, and that's whether we're talking COVID-19 or wherever else it seems to go. That's not an unknown thing around the world. And the same reason that we know that about Canada or we know that about Germany right now. It's, it's the same thing. But on top of that, or secondarily, U.S. foreign policy plays an obvious role in this that does not get discussed. Now, maybe you'll hear that from the left at certain moments when they want to make it out to be something, you know, only when it applies in a certain political agenda. Otherwise, that's not something we're going to talk about because Democrats are equally involved with our disgusting foreign policy as the Republicans. But we have to realize that what's going on in South America, in every single country that you can point at, including Mexico, by the way, which I'm not implying that South America, but from South, from the, from the United States down, you can very clearly see continuous meddling, influence, manipulation, agendas, psyops, actual intelligence operations. I mean, this goes back as far as you want to look. And then, of course, we can talk about, you know, the actual actions on the ground, like Venezuela, sanctions, starving people to death, or, you know, actual military operations, which we don't like to talk about. All of this drives migration. And of course, we could also talk about the larger picture elsewhere in the world where you have actual bombings taking place, which then we pretend these people are fleeing for a better. They are fleeing from your destructive foreign policy. And same point down here. Now, all of that needs to be factored in. If you will not bring up U.S. foreign policy in this conversation, you're not being honest about it. Then on top of that, though, we have to consider a couple different points. Knowing that is largely what's happening. Could this not be abused? Right. Could this be could could people be planted? Of course, that's possible. Could the United States do that? Could the United States government do this again? And could this be an agenda against the American people or maybe an agenda to 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 take action against Mexico? I've been telling you there's a building regime change effort there. Now, however you want to look at it, all that's possible. But the bigger thing to realize is that there is always a system in place in the border. that's always been there through Obama, the Trump to the current administration where there is a process. And yes, there are people that try to illegally cross the border and those people are breaking the law. So regardless of what kind of mental, you know, moral stance you're taking, it's the same as pretending like somehow you want to remove the second amendment. You could argue that you feel that way, but it's the, in one side, we're talking about a constitutional right, but over here, it's still a law. So just because you don't like it doesn't mean you just get to pretend it's not there. So if somebody breaks the law, they're breaking the law, period. That's a crime. But these people that are going through the process and then still kind of being broad stroke called illegals by a lot of people, that's just disgusting because you're treating these people like and this is the concept of dehumanization. And it's the same reason you see people bouncing these people around like ping pong balls where it's going, oh, I'm going to send them to Martha's Vineyard and make a big point about it. We don't want them in our area. These are human beings. And it's just disgusting that anybody pretends like that doesn't matter because you somehow think they're taking your jobs or whatever the argument is. It's really ridiculous how at one point we used to praise the fact that people want, I mean, even still think about how broken it is to say they're fleeing to come for a better life, except we don't want you here. <laughs> it's like, it just doesn't even make sense. You can't argue that it's all because we're the best. And then simultaneously, as well as the main point that this country used to pride itself on the idea that you give us your huddled masses and all that argument. The point we should really realize is that it's all a bunch of political arguments and nonsense. They don't care about any of it. They never have and they never do. They don't care about you. They don't care about them. They care about an agenda. They care about their political stance and their clout. Now, all that being said, Derek has a very clear understanding of the situation because he lives and straddles that border because of living in Texas as well as in Mexico. So here he wrote a couple of things and I'll play the clip. I understand the desire to use this tech to track people coming into the country, but this kind of tech will be used on Americans. And of course, at some point, we seem to kind of all know that. 
Oh, I think we all always do. But at certain points, the the political fervor becomes so loud that people just don't ultimately see the real picture because you hear all those screaming partisan names on Twitter with lots of followers and they just get fall. You get pulled into it. Oh, my God, they're doing this. And look, that person got raped. And oh, my God, this story over here. And they're all these plucked out stories that certainly matter. But is that actually what's happening? It's sort of like these channels on Twitter right now. They're getting massive following by showing some kind of gang that, you know, in uh, Europe of, you know, migrants that are beating people up. And it's like, yeah, that's terrible. But is that really indicative of some massive thing that you're seeing everywhere all the time? Or is that more of a propaganda push? Or, is it, or And on top of that, does that mean every single person that's in that situation should be critical? Because that's how this works. You end up dehumanizing and attacking from a political stance anybody that you think is that. Oh, how'd you know they were illegals? Oh, you could just tell. Yeah, we've heard that. That's the kind of disgusting mentality you get from people parading themselves around as fighting for this country. You ultimately end up hiding your bigotry and racism behind the idea that you're defending the country. Now, I don't mean that's everybody. I'm not really out there trying to defend against bigotry and racism. That's your problem. I don't, I'm not the, the crusader against that because ultimately that is something that you can deal with and you have a free speech right to feel that way and express that. But nonetheless, there are actually people doing that. My opinion, though, I think most people are in the middle. I think most people are disgusted by both sides trying to push their nonsense on everybody, and people just check out half the time. But his point is that this will be used on you. It's not a one-way thing. And arguably, I would say that's the point. So now they're doing exactly. And I think about it like this from the right, actually. Aren't, we, aren't, aren't a lot of people on the right screaming about the Great Reset and the, the medical tyranny? And all of the surveillance, it's all bad right up until the border gets brought up. And then, oh, do it all. Police state, right to that. Because it's only on them, right? Like, we can't be that childishly naive. We must see that this is how this works. Even if it's not just, even if it's not on purpose, it will sure as hell be used that way. And Derek then continues to point out, and this actually frustrates me, that even somebody, not that I, as I always say, I don't believe any of these people are truly fighting for you. They call me a pessimist. I am jaded, but I think history backs that up. But even Thomas Massey should have let me down where he says members of the U. Well, I will take that back. I said the same thing on the show is that ultimately it doesn't seem that he's necessarily saying one way or the other. But he does say he just tweets this and says members of U.S. House of Representatives are set to vote this week on new legislation that would greatly increase the federal government's power over private businesses, workers and U.S. citizens, all based on the idea of the immigration concept. Now it says the new immigration bill is a Trojan horse for E-Verify. Well, actually, now that you really think about it in the context, it does seem like he is kind of pointing out the problem. So I take it back, you know, and I, I'm skeptical, as you guys know, of all these people. So I'm on guard. But Thomas Massey does tend to be on the right side of this kind of stuff. And Derek says, imagine that using anti-immigration rhetoric to welcome in a police state. I've been warning about this throughout the Trump years. So many people welcoming in the police state blinded by their politics. And these will be mentioned in the clip. And he's written about wrote, he's wrote about this before. The fight against immigration welcomes the police state. Mass surveillance on the border, it's meant for Americans. And we also talk about the idea of something that I actually haven't talked about in a while. The actual legitimate topic that is the Constitution-free zone. I mean, just, you can't have a conversation about the the Constitution or freedom and then say the Constitution-free zone. You're an idiot if you think those things make sense in the same conversation. This is wildly contradictory and straight-up unconstitutional. I mean, what else would you call a Constitution-free zone? It's quite unconstitutional, but this is the reality, guys. The ACLU pointing it out. 100-mile border zone. It's actually much more than that, I believe. 
but realize this is not a joke based on the argument that they need to keep you safe from the whatever threat around the and it's on Canada side too by the way they have a zone where you literally are you don't your constitutional rights are suspended if and when they want you just realize the entire state of Maine exists in this non-constitutional this constitutional free zone limbo how does that possibly make sense that doesn't just go away that's always there so pretty much don't live in these areas i guess or all of florida make me think about that and make sense of that for me now let's watch this clip and then we'll go on to the next topic and i really hope you guys will look more into Derek's work on this and by the way as he mentions he's going to try to get some discussions with some people on the border ask them you know why are you here why are, why are you actually migrating what's really going on what have you seen along the way you'll never get that in honest from the corporate media All right, so let's talk with Derek Bros from the Conscious Resistance and the Last American Vagabond, who is down on the border, going back and forth, actually, between Texas and Mexico. And I thought it'd be very relevant to bring him into this conversation and see what his take is on what's going on in regard to the border and immigration. So what's going on, Derek? How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, man. This is an important topic that I think, uh, like many of the things we cover, often lacks the nuance in some of the circles that we run or some of the circles that might pay attention to our work. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like everything, especially one of these wedge issues that, you know, it really just kind of spins people out, you know, where they, they, they cannot see anything other than the partisan narrative around one side or the other. And what I'm talking about is the people in, you know, which I think is the minority on the, you know, extreme kind of partisan discussion. So right now, obviously, there's this big discussion around the immigration, which, again, it's for those that watch our watch the last American Vagabond, the conscious resistance, you'll remember this. This happens all the time. And that's not that make it necessarily acceptable or okay that people are being treated certain ways or that we're ignoring the situation. But like we talk about Venezuela, during the big focus on Venezuela, we had the, mm-hmm. I forget what was the term they were using, you know, the, the mob the was, coming yeah, you know, and so, the, and it turned out that there was a lot of misinformation around that and, and so on. So you, know, you can touch on that if you'd like, but so, so what's going on from your perspective in regard to the immigration? Is there a problem there? Is, you know, what's the title 42? Give us all your thoughts on all this. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot happening right now. I mean, as of, I think, tomorrow, what they're calling Title 42 ends and the the media is kind of amping it up like it's going to be a big, huge, you know, right wing media. And I think even some more balanced media is uh, claiming that there's going to be a huge influx of uh potentially illegal immigrants and maybe some trying to come legally refugees. Um, And I do think there is truth to that. I mean, I've seen some reporting by folks who are near the border who've already like the border patrol themselves. I actually found a couple of tweets from a border patrol agent last night who was showing just like they are already at this particular station. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. They only have a capacity for, I think, 700 people, and they've already got 1,500 people there, right, that have come and are trying to cross. And again, not saying all these people are crossing illegally. Some of them are. Not saying all of them are criminals or anything, or that all of them are saints. I have no idea. I haven't talked to them, right? But the Border Patrol is already kind of sounding an alarm and saying, hey, we can literally see across the border thousands of people just waiting for the moment that this uh, Title 42 expires, and we're, you know, expecting a rush that we're not going to be we're not even sure we're going to be able to handle uh the biden administration is talking about sending uh i think they've already decided to send uh the national guard down there which side note you know if that happened during trump which i think it did people would be making a big deal nobody's saying anything now uh so even the biden administration is saying and putting out statements saying i, I read this last night 
to, to the people who are coming, you're listening to disinformation. We are not welcoming you. Do not come. And in fact, you will be turned around. You will be sent back to Mexico. And then I can say from living in Mexico, again, the Mexican government's not really taking a very welcoming approach either. Um, in fact, where I live in central Mexico and throughout Mexico, you're starting to see different immigrants from Honduras and, and further south who are making their way. Some who probably have visions of getting all the way to the United States, others who've just kind of settled into um, Mexico. And it's interesting because I think the U.S. gets a lot of hate uh, from certain sectors of the political spectrum as like being racist or anti-immigrant uh, when, you know, the immigration issue issue is clearly complex and not just as black and white as like, hey, let everybody in. It's going to be easy and that'll fix things and culture won't get messed up and, you know, norms won't be uh, disrupted or anything like that. There are some real concerns around that. There's also real concerns around the weaponization of immigration. And so I think it's important to note that even Mexico isn't very welcoming. Like for the people who are further south, uh, Guatemala and other countries who are dealing with uh, the ramifications of not only long-term decades of U.S. foreign policy and intervention and overthrowing of governments and installing puppets, like, you know, that's, that's a history that exists and is real. And those implicate those uh, results are still playing out, right? So there's regular people like us who probably just want to live their lives and are looking for a better life. And they've been told or they believe, based on what Democratic politicians have said, that they can make it to the U.S. That's clearly not the case anymore. Maybe it was to some degree. And, you know, you could look at different examples. But I think even the so-called left and the Democrats are recognizing that an open border policy, if that's what you want to call it, isn't really the answer because you now have incidents where – the, the migrants that do make it to Texas, well, then the Texas governor is shipping them to, to Chicago and shipping them elsewhere, which, you know, on, a hum, on just like a human rights, human right. being level outside of politics really doesn't feel good because it's just political games, right? This guy's using these human beings against this other guy. It's like, oh, we're going to ship them to a progressive city. See how they like they that. They want the vineyard and make a, you know, these are human yeah. beings. It's just like they're trying to make political statements, and I think that does suck, right? So I hope that our audiences aren't the kind of people that get caught up in that stuff. Yeah. But even then, like the Chicago mayor is saying, hey, I need federal support. Like I can't we, – we're overcome. And then there was um, uh, what was, uh, Brownsville on, down here in South Texas uh, right across the border. They have now, I think, put, declared a state of emergency, if I remember correctly from last night, saying that basically they've already got a thousand migrants sleeping in the streets because their shelter. They said that their shelters can only hold a certain amount. And so there's people sleeping around around and outside the shelters who can't get in. And then there's other parts of town where people are just, you know, they've clearly been flooded with a, an influx of migrants who right or wrong believed that they were going to be uh, welcomed into the U.S. And even the Biden administration is not really saying that that's the case. They're saying, like, we're going to send you back. Um, and so the whole thing about Title 42 ending, I think that they are amping this up a little more than maybe it needs to be. It is sure. true that, yes, there are people at the border. There's constantly people coming in the border. Uh, that's just it's, it's a thing. And, and there's no perfect answers. But Title 42 relates to the uh, – COVID measures that Trump put in place. And, and so since the Biden uh, administration has now declared the emergency over, that effectively ends the immigration measures. You guys might remember back in 2020 when Trump started uh, restricting immigration from China and elsewhere. And then also up until just, I think, tomorrow, uh, unvaccinated foreigners haven't been allowed to the United States for going on three, you know, two and a half, three years now. So that's what's coming to an end. And as part of that, those restrictions, those like more kind of COVID immigration restrictions are being lifted. So we're not going to anything new. We're going back to what it was right. prior to COVID. And I think that's an important point for people to make, because I think some people are interpreting this as like 
Biden's doing something new because he wants to flood the U.S. with immigrants, but it's really just going back to where things already were. Which, and neither of us are here supporting either side, really, the Biden or Trump. You know, it, it's just it's just the reality here. And what's interesting is it's a it's of course this is always how this works. That we talked about there was like the trans Second Amendment kind of overlap where suddenly you've got Republicans who are trying to maintain without saying it a COVID measure that stops people because of COVID-19, which if that was put to the point, they would argue a very different story because a lot of their supporters don't even believe in this stuff. Or So it's very interesting. But of course, they're arguing it from an immigration standpoint. But your point is, and if people want to look this up, it does stem to the idea of a public health measure. So whether or not you think it ends with the end of the emergency, the point is, where's the justifiable measure to stop people on a public health measure? And also what people don't realize is it 42, as far as I can tell, it really just gives the government the ability to kind of broad stroke, just we, like no process. We're just going to rem- turn you back with no process, which isn't what we're supposed to believe in. Give us your huddled masses, your poor, like that's what we pretend we're all about. And, you know, what's interesting is that we also say simultaneously, they're all coming here for a better life, but no, you can't come in. It's like, there's just so much contradictory information here. And as always, yeah. it's artisan game playing this back and forth. And it's usually somewhere in the middle. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I would also point out though, I mean, Again, politics aside, it's obviously a hard thing to deal with and arguably possibly even an emergency level situation when you've got tens of thousands of people flooding into a city that can't manage that. There's going to be more crime. I mean, this is not a racial issue. That's just a reality of whatever kind of people flood into an area, you know? So go ahead. If if people are coming in and and, uh, they, even the most kind-hearted person who has probably already been through weeks of rough travel. They finally arrived to the U S they're getting shipped around and somebody buses them to a random city. Uh, they, you know, somebody who has a entrepreneurial spirit might try to do the best they can. But if you literally came from thousands of miles away, probably have no contacts in the United States, especially not to the random place that they're dropping you in. There are some people who eventually like, Hey, they get hungry and they might need to go, you know, steal something to try to make some money. I'm not condoning anything. I'm just saying when people are put through very difficult and harsh circumstances, that often is what pushes people to commit crimes and to, you know, just to try to survive. So again, not condoning or anything like that, but these are not perfect situations. And I'll just mention one other thing is that to tie into the immigration thing, the title 42, there's a bill that I tweeted about yesterday that I don't think is getting enough attention right now. And I actually, you know, myself just learned about it. um, Let's finish with that. If you don't mind, because that's, that's the important part of this. I think that you and I really just always harping about is how any of this stuff, whether justified or not, very clearly segues into the police state, the technocracy discussion. But before we get to that, why do you think this is happening from your perspective? I know that you, know, you even just mentioned, well, I, I'll let you say that what your upcoming work may be, if you want to mention that. But ultimately that, you know, there's a lot of obvious overlap with aggressive U.S. foreign policy that is driving people from their homes. Not like that they're fleeing yeah. for their life, but rather that they have no choice and they come here and then they get shipped around and acted like they're nothing. And so it's not really about freedom or any of that in some people's minds or in some of these cases. So why do you think this is even happening? I mean, we've heard a lot yeah, of the narrative. I mean, so I mentioned earlier about like the historical inter, uh, intervention. I mean, you can go not even just like the Central America, Mexico, Guatemala, but you can go all the way down to South America, of course, look up Operation Condor, Henry Kissinger, uh, the Argentina, Brazil, all the different nations that they influenced elections. And again, like there, there are people living alive today whose families were killed by death squads that operated under Pinochet, who was installed by the U.S. government. Like that's just one example, right? So people who still like you can't even really talk about it that loud. It's 
it's kind of like in a national embarrassment or sort of like, let's not even talk about it, that it's still too, too early, I guess, for some of the generations, even though it's been decades and decades. So there's things like that, which obviously could cause somebody to say, hey, you know, maybe I don't want to live here anymore. I think I might go you know, further north. But there's also some good work. I would point to some of the uh, work done over at the Gray Zone. They've done some good investigations looking into specifically the Mexican cartels uh, and showing how some of the people who are involved in these paramilitaries like the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, which is one of the scariest kind of outfits and they claim you know nobody knows exactly who they are like they wear all masks somehow they got really high powered equipment and vehicles but the gray zone and others have done some good investigations showing the the people who helped train them come directly from the u.s military come directly from special forces and this is a pattern that you can see time and time again the honduras killing squads the death squads and, and elsewhere so too all around exactly yeah so i mean it's just important to understand that because to deny those realities or to understand those realities but then to not consider that as a factor in why people might want to be getting out of their country i think is a mistake yeah no i agree i agree and and to what you were mentioning i I am going to be traveling back north in the next couple weeks uh i i drive between uh central mexico and and houston fairly often and cross the border obviously so if this situation is still going on whenever i'm making my trip i'm going to see if we can maybe take a route that will take us near one of these uh camps or just near a border where we can see hey here's a bunch of people but not to just kind of film from a distance and make assumptions but i would like to go interview uh there's been very few that i people that i can think of in the independent media who've covered this topic who've actually talked to any single person who was a migrant or an illegal immigrant whatever refugee whatever name you want to give them and that's what i would like to do is to really just like you know hey why are you here where are you from what's your name you know what are you in pursuit of and is it really like, hey, I'm a single father and I got family back at home and I need to make money for my kids? Or is it like, hey, I was told that if I came here, I'd be taken care of. And apparently that's not the case. Right. Let's and, and maybe even communicate like that. Hey, Americans would love to welcome you. There's a process to it. Our government's all screwed up. We're sorry you're having to deal with this. You know, to me, it's, it's sometimes important to just get past all that partisan yeah. crap and just talk to people as a human being. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I, I definitely think that what you said, the latter part of what you said, that's part of it. it has to be. There's there's some level of people that are just being convinced incorrectly that that is the case. And that that's arguably a right perception of what the left is saying, which is not even truly what some of them are saying. Like, you know, they, they, you get this kind of spin out of the two-party paradigm where just it's nothing is real anymore, you know? And so it, it's, it's very hard to see. And one last point I would say before we finish with the, the kind of police state part of it is that you have a lot of people that are just kind of naming any immigrant illegal. You know, and what, what's reality is that, yes, there's plenty of people that illegally cross the border. And what, whatever your opinion on that is, there's a law that's in place and that's illegal. So that should be dealt with as a crime, regardless of any other context. But on top of it, though, you do have a lot of people that are actually going through the border. And because they disagree with what they perceive as Biden's policies, then everyone just by default is an illegal. And I think that just it's the whole point. If you dehumanize people. It exactly. does, that you, then it becomes much easier to cast them aside, to treat them like the problem you want them to be framed as, as opposed to just human beings that are being yeah. used and, on in all this. You know? And it's, I mean, it's, it's an obvious but a, a point worth re, uh, repeating that throughout our not too, recent, not too distant history, groups of people have become othered. They're the other. They're not one of us. They're other. And that can lead to very dangerous places. Like, for example, you know, whatever your opinion of the uh, – uh, the border situation. I think most people could objectively, if they're capable of being objective, uh, look at the situation we saw during the Trump years and which 
is worth pointing out, does continue into the Biden era. There's just no outrage about it as far as right. the children in cages and the parents and the people being right. separated. Like that stuff continues. And I don't think that there's any parent who could look at that situation and say, this is a good situation. Like this is working out. Like even whether, whatever you think, whether these people should be here, came here illegally, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody is going to look at a situation and think that the U.S. government separating a parent from a child is it's going to lead to anywhere good. And yeah, and I think anybody logical can agree with that. I would say the bigger point for me politically is the obvious reality of how none of them care about either side of it. If they can clearly yeah. care one day and then not care the next, then it's really political. And that's the grossest part of all of it is that they're using these people, like we just said. You know, it's all political games and that it makes it very difficult to see it any other way. You know, we just got to stand back and realize that these are human beings that are suffering. They're trying to make the best of the situation. And you have exactly. politicians out there flipping them in the air like coins, trying to make this land a certain way. And it's it's really hard to watch, you know. But let, let's finish with this part of it, because I think this is one of the most relevant parts of, of kind of where this goes, regardless of the reality of the situation or not. That you wrote here. Here's Thomas Massey, of all people. Members of the U.S. House of Representatives are set to vote this week on new legislation that would greatly increase the federal government's power over private businesses, workers, and U.S. citizens. Well, I will actually say that it doesn't. I agree. So give me your thoughts on this. Yeah, and so you can see there, there's a couple of reports that I did back during the Trump years. The fight against immigration welcomes a police state. Mass surveillance on the border is meant for Americans. And I encourage people to go back and look at them. I think that they're relevant to everything that's happening now. Um, and I did a few others there where, in the course of my travels crossing the border, trying to show people that, you know, back in the day, the Border Patrol literally only existed at the border. But then 9-11 came along, and then we get this supposed constitution-free zone, and they were allowed to go out 10 miles. And then I think now the constitution-free zone is actually 50 miles around the entire United States. So this isn't just Mexico. You know, the U.S.-Canada uh, US border, border also has a constitution-free zone. And what that means is you'll be 30, 40, 50 miles away from the border, but there'll be a border patrol checkpoint just set up right there. And it's, it's oh, 100 miles. See, it's in the 100 miles now. It's expanded since 9-11. And there you go. You can kind of see. And the thing is, there's towns and cities in that supposed constitution-free zone. And we haven't seen them like come into Houston, for example, and just start setting up checkpoints. But absolutely... When you're leaving the border and you're nowhere near the border, there will be border patrol checkpoints. And technically, you should be able to say, hey, I have constitutional rights. You can't pull me over. I'm just traveling this and that. But try saying that to a border patrol agent without getting yourself you know, in more control, more trouble or being searched or harassed. You know, that's the unfortunate I'll part of our, our rights. Right. Yeah, exactly. The unfortunate part about our rights is when you exercise them, they often respond in a way that just creates more trouble for you. And right. what does that do? It encourages people like us to just to acquiesce and say, never mind, I just want to go home and move on my way. And I've been in those situations. So, you know, and I also tweeted, I think you had it pulled up a picture of one of the uh, Border Patrol agents. They said that they had just caught some people and. Again, I'm not here to weigh in on whether or not that's a tool Border Patrol should be using, but the point is you see these kinds of technologies starting out with a group that most people don't care about, or at least a large portion of the population say, oh, who cares? They're illegal immigrants. What do I care if their faces are scanned, right? But there's also examples of this already being tested at airports. Uh, I've had friends report that they've seen it where they were getting on the airport and they are on the airplane and they did they tried to do that for them and they asked them, like, hey, is this mandatory? And they said, no, it's just a new you know, a trial program. But of course, if you don't say anything, they just go, you know, they just going to scan your face. 
So as I said there that, look, I get it. I get that there's a desire to like, if these people are coming in, maybe they're illegal. Maybe they committed crimes in Mexico or wherever they're from, and there's no record of that. So you know, I don't know what the perfect situation is, but I can guarantee you absolutely these kinds of things are going to be used on Americans, and they already are. And that was kind of my larger point with this tweet and those other, art, those other videos is that so many people, especially during the Trump years, who have been you know, pushing on just that wedge issue of immigration and, and again, rightfully so, talking about things like weaponized immigration, George Soros funding certain DAs. And there's a conversation to be had, right. but it's more nuanced than just simply saying, because I know that bad people are trying to use these immigrants to disrupt things or to cause chaos or you know, then you get into the people who are like, oh, they're trying to steal Western civilization, whatever. The reality is that these tools will be used on you. Right. That the mass surveillance on the border that they claim is just about keeping you safe is going to be used on you. That includes drones. That includes uh, during the Trump years, they were talking about creating a digital wall uh, that would be just a wall of facial recognition cameras and automatic license plate readers and heat seeking drone, blah, blah, all the fun toys they have. These things are going to be used on us, not just on the immigrants or the, you know, the refugees that you may or may not like. And yeah, and if you want to speak about losing your society, Let's just jump past this topic and recognize that a technocratic security state will be the absolute end of everything we think we know. So, yes, this exactly. you, you know, the cultural mix is something people can, you know, you can concern yourself with whatever you think is important. But just recognize that it, it you know, if you think that's part of it, the stepping stone that they're using, you know, using that as a stepping stone is the absolute, right? The, the, the technocratic panopticon direction is the absolute end of the, you know, it's, it's a globalization direction, you know? And so we're right to be concerned about where this ends up going. And I, I definitely, I mean, I, I actually kind of forgot about this and it's really, I'm, I think we even need to talk about this like years ago, right? What, what blows me away is that if you think that your constitutional rights matter to these people, explain for me how it's possible that the entire state of Maine can exist in this limbo of non-constitutional rights. I, it's just, it's mind blowing. The point is we're so far past, we live in an illusion right now. If, 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 if not, always been in one about the fact that we think, you know, they, they care about the constitution insofar as that they want us to remember, continue thinking that we have power. Right. And that is some level of power in my opinion, right. Cause they have to consider how it will be perceived and how the mob will respond. But if you really cut, come down to it, in my opinion, if they really wanted to, none of these things matter anymore, you know, and I, that's, I'm not trying to scare anybody. We just need to yeah. be real about where we are, you know? I, I think that's a fair point to make and a fair conversation to have. I often, I'll just end with this. I often kind of have my, my, that thought in my mind, like, um, you know, for just as one example that's been in my mind lately is people getting excited about RFK Jr. running for president or really anybody. And again, that's not a, a jab at any particular person. But in his case, this is somebody who's speaking out openly now about his uncle and father our uncle yeah, and father being murdered by the CIA or at least not the people were told right. and yet is running for president. And to me, it's just like how you can kind of square those two things. Obviously I get the idea of spreading a message, but in my mind, like the, one of the questions I want to ask him is how do you know that information and then turn around and expect people to vote in that system and think that that's going to achieve something. It's a so, great point. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just about questioning, you know, this is what I've said about just specifically his candidacy, but anybody, if on person, would welcome critique and even criticism, right? Like the idea that, or question, you know, like you guess, question me, ask whether or not I mean what I'm saying. Ask, because if you are genuine and you do mean it, well, then you, the process will bring you to the reality that that's the case. And so th it's important that we, especially people in authority, the idea that we ever got to a point to where we just blindly trust, like I often give 
the, 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 the Theodore Roosevelt quote about, you know, that it's, it's servile to blindly trust the president. And that's the reality is that we, they used to know that, that it's really about questioning this stuff, not to say that that's not somebody, somebody we should be listening to, but either way, you know, we're at a point where all of this stuff is, I believe we're at a point where we can see that the system is not salvageable. And that's not something a lot of people want to hear. But that doesn't mean that we are lost. There's steps forward, you know. So engaging with that system, if you think that's the way to go, that's that's something you can suss out for yourself. But obviously, there are rapid steps in the direction of this police state and technocracy. And I'm I'm glad to to have you on the team to be breaking this stuff down. I'm looking forward to what you can actually, you know, speaking to people on the ground and hearing like, you know, why are you here? You know, what is actually going on? Because I don't think I've ever actually seen that in a broad way. So looking forward to that work, man. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yeah. And I'll keep everybody uh, aware if, if I do get to make that this trip, if not, I plan to do it at some point because unfortunately the border problem is not going away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here, brother. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Getting right back into it. I mean, you know, Derek's always doing such a great job, man. And I'm really, I am looking forward to what he is, what he, everything he's working on, but ultimately that direct point. Let's, let's finish after all of that with the, the title 42 conversation so it kind of went a different direction which is quite interesting so the whole point about this and again to reiterate was the idea that title 42 is it and you can see it actually i don't think they mentioned in this article but the previous one i was looking at it is a covid measure right it's it's an under the idea that it's a health measure to stop or be able to broadly kind of pause or push back on immigration because of you know we're worried about covid19 And so it's interesting that that's something that suddenly Republicans are desperately trying to stop from happening. That just doesn't make much sense when you really think about it. But then and what happened, interestingly, is on the 10th, as it says, and this is from the Daily Wire, a major reversal. Biden resurrects Trump border policy ahead of Title 42 repeal. And you might not you might not be surprised to, to see like, OK, you have all these people screaming, Biden's not doing anything. And which, by the way, I'm in no defender of Biden or any of them, for that matter. I, I think largely they mostly do nothing. But ultimately, you scream he's not doing anything. And then he does something that seems to go in the direction of what at least what you suggested you wanted. And then barely anybody talks about it. That's just straight up dishonest, guys. These people don't really care. Like if Biden, it's the same way that Trump would do something and the people, it's like the point we made during Trump's administration. You had people that would literally want to see the country burn down just so they could say Trump did it. Or rather, they would hate the fact the country succeeded, even if it benefited them and they got everything they wanted because Trump's the one that did it. That's the kind of mindset we have in the two-party paradigm, right? So in this case, that happened a lot here. Now you'll get this is the now I'm not going to say this is the way it's going to flush out. As always, our government lies to us and they say something will happen or this happens. There's a loophole or whatever. But ultimately, this is what this means. They brought back the Trump era immigration rule uh, in regard to uh, it says the rule finalized and published in the Federal Register Wednesday disqualifies migrants from applying for asylum in the United States if they neglect to first apply for asylum in the other countries they travel through which kind of that makes sense to me in the concept of, well, if they make it all the way here and they haven't applied elsewhere, then they will be turned back. So it's kind of like a middle ground between 42 and just a non-COVID era time frame. So that's very interesting. My point, though, is that this is something that is being played politically from all sides. When really what we're talking about is a problem largely being caused by the government and their lack of concern for human rights or people in general and the politicization of these people's lives. So it's kind of disgusting to see this play out. But I thought it was important to make a point about this, especially since it is a large wedge issue that's going to kind of consume the conversation when this gets talked about. So going on to the next couple points, I wanted to, I had two more things I want to talk about 
in well, actually two topics. Look, quick couple points on Biden, which you might have seen. I'm not going to get deep on it today, but it's important that I wanted to make sure everybody saw. And then in general, a couple of foreign policy points, you know, because Israel's yet again murdering people in Gaza and the corporate media doesn't care. So I'm going to make sure you see that, too. But Kanoa the Great broke this down and I, I'll just go to include this. You can read it. You can watch it for yourself. But this is really important. Now, this as far as I could tell, this is the beginning of this of this. Uh, I want to say panel for some reason. And I can't read the, the committee and they're going to be investigating the Biden family. And I think it's really important. One of the main points he makes is that. The Biden family does not have any, there's no business, right? Their business is politics and making money through that in very surreptitious ways. But I will make the point to argue that I bet, I don't bet every, I'm, I, well, I would, will, I'd be willing to bet. And I can see many of them and I can prove to you that everyone in that very room right there is doing the same thing. That's my opinion. But I, the same thing with Donald Trump and his family. We have very clear evidence of that. However, the difference is that Trump's family has, as he mentions, has a very clear business model. So it's easier to hide that, as I would take it. But ultimately, that the real point is, and it's not that we should not care about one or the other because the other person does it. It matters that Biden's family is breaking the law. It matters that his son is very clearly involved. The laptop story that got suppressed, the, the laundering money and the human trafficking, by the way, that's happening in Ukraine. That matters. But it also should matter Obama's family or George Bush's family or Donald Trump's family and all the same stuff we've seen throughout the years. But the problem is that's not really how it goes. But that doesn't make it not important that this goes through just because some partisan people will only care about this one thing. It still matters. Right. So read, watch this, listen to it as the committee goes forward. We will follow what they find because they're going to continue to investigate. But it seems pretty obvious that there is a lot of evidence that just just like the laptop conversation. I mean, how ridiculous is it that they got that got shut down? They dismissed it. Most of the media denied it. And then it literally gets proven by more of the corporate media and they still pretend like it's fake. And then even more so, we have people, Hunter, literally, I forget how it went. There was some kind of a discussion where he either he sued them or something. I, this is not the most important talk, topic to me in the context of the overlap of the family the point being is that the criminal activity of the laptop and how that connects we've already talked about that my point is the nuance and how it goes forward I, i'm more interested in the other larger topics but this is still important but the point is that even hunter essentially confirmed that that is his laptop and yet still they act like this isn't true it's just mind-numbingly stupid and then you can listen to this clip as well now, yes, this is coming from a partisan player, but ultimately what he's saying is that they have evidence that Hunter Biden paid tens of thousands of dollars for prostitutes that were sex trafficked through an international sex trafficking ring. How much you want to bet Ukrainians in some way? Now, that's that's not I'm, I'm not that's an opinion, but that's based on a lot of evidence that suggests that there's a huge overlap there, that the family specifically is involved with what's going on in Ukraine. But on top of that, that we can prove that there is absolutely human trafficking that has exploded between Poland and Ukraine since the beginning of this. Just a thought. But either way, the evidence seems to be there. And I think that's important. But just like the Clinton Foundation and all the evidence that paid to play, what happened? Absolutely nothing. They didn't even care to explain why nothing happened. They just moved forward. That's Republicans, too. So consider that. that now, whether or not this is a distraction point, it's still important to understand the evidence here. Now, we will revisit that, of course, as this continues to develop. But now in foreign policy, if you may have not have seen, because the corporate media doesn't care and your government doesn't seem to care and the West doesn't seem to care, that there is now, and it's gotten worse, but at this point, 26 Palestinians were, were, were killed, including seven children. Now, the, re the point is, this is a completely unjustified, as always, 
act of violence by the Israeli government. Now, the reason I say as always is because, as always, according to the Geneva Conventions, an occupied territory, which nobody denies, especially not today, they used to try to, that Palestine is that, it is an occupied territory, according to the UN and any any human rights organization or anywhere you ask. So the point is, that gives them the legal right to armed rebellion. That's not when they get attacked first. So legally speaking, it doesn't matter if Israel attacks first. They're the illegally occupied territory, period. Remember they used to pretend that Palestine never existed or pretend that they were all terrorists? That's how dumb this argument is. And they still, they're, these racist, fascist entities are absolutely still trying to push those lies. And they're losing control because of it. But they don't care. So right now what you're seeing is this play out on an international scale where Israel is being forced by its very aggressive population that cares about killing Palestinians. And I do not mean everybody in Israel, but the ones that do, the rabidly racist, fascist entities, the illegal settlers and so on that are literally calling for blood that want this to happen. And then you get Israel attacking civilian locations. Now, there was locations where the uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad groups were lit with their families and sleeping when they killed them. And the only reason they were present was because Egypt told them there was a ceasefire and then Israel killed them that night because that's how this works. Regardless of that, there was also individual civilian buildings that were bombed with no reasonable justification. People got killed. Now, it doesn't matter what justification you lay over that. Nobody and no justification makes sense of that kind of irrational, mindless killing of people not even connected with this. That's called collective punishment. It happens every single time. This always gets me worked up because this is disgusting. And the people out there pretending like this is simple because, you know, terrorists and they fought first, whatever. You're wrong on every single count, even though you're wrong about the facts. It, let's just assume you were right and that they did fire first. My point is it still doesn't matter. According to the U.N. and Geneva Conventions, you don't just get to circumvent those things when you want to. It's disgusting. Robert wrote about this, and there's another one he just finished. I'll try and put up tonight, but most likely tomorrow. Israel launches a new war on Gaza, kills overwhelmingly civilians. And he gets into why. And the understanding point here is that this is about Netanyahu and the openly fascist government, which, by the way, is not a secret. That's, even the ADL and different groups have called out the religious Zionist party that's leading it. And even the United States government has started to go way. They're kind of going too far. This is not a secret. They are actively and openly calling for the things they used to quietly say when the U.S. was paying attention. But they still said them. Now, the point is they're pushed back because this is becoming an international issue, as I said. Lebanon. Gaza. Yemen, Syria, all these groups are working together at this point and saying, look, if you push back, if you keep doing this, this is going to be a, a collective effort. And the Israeli government's made it clear that they do not have the ability at this point to collectively do this, even with Gaza specifically. You read it for yourself. The evidence is clear. When the settlers demanded something, though, they just lashed out and killed a bunch of civilians. And what that's going to do is cause even more to continue. This is going to spiral out of control. And Robert at least thinks that Israel is not prepared for this, that this is a, a act of desperation. But the point is the world is seeing what's going on. As much as you're the garbage corporate media that seemingly nobody watches anymore other than to see what they're lying about, they're saying that. The point is that the world is very aware of what's actually going on because you can see the trend. Think of how much this conversation has changed. Like I just said, it was moments ago that it was Palestine's not real and they're all terrorists. Think about how how 
morally reprehensible that kind of argument is when you know it has one of the largest group there, there is it's protect women and children one of the largest populations i mean i've gone over i could go off on this forever the bottom line that this is just wrong and i we all know it including all of the ridiculous propagandists online. They're trying to shout down the articles and say, you don't understand because here's a Times of Israel article that says you're lying. It's just these people don't, it's, and, and, and we see through them. But Times of Gaza, which you should follow, points out the aggression in Gaza continues. 30 Palestinians now dead, 93 injured. But, you know, you won't hear about this on the corporate media news because they care about human life, apparently. But let's get into the transgender conversation. Now, this is a really important one for me because this does stem to a lot of the same conversations. And as I said before, this is not about demonizing every transgender person. Now, I have my personal opinions about what's really going on there. But ultimately, what it does come down to is individual people's rights to do what they want with their own body. Now, obviously, when you talk about children, that doesn't apply. Just like they can't drink alcohol or smoke a cigarette or join the military, drive a car. Let's not pretend like they can rationally make decisions about life-altering transgender surgeries or getting dangerous gene therapy injections. Apparently, the only two things they're allowed to understand and consent to when they're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, not real. That's ridiculous, and it's propaganda and politics. But the point is, this is being used for very nefarious reasons. I've talked about lots of different overlaps. The, transge- the transhumanist agenda. We've talked about the, the I mean, co- le- legitimately, the core beginning of this, the concept, the person who coined the term transvestite, you can tie back a lot of weird sexual deviancy to these very same, it doesn't guarantee that the entire thing is tied to that, but it does show you that at its core, it stems to things that are not what we expect. And you can realize that the idea of, of essentially convincing children at an age when they're impressionable that they are something they're not to or or even just the simple idea that you're having a conversation about sexuality with a child how that ever became normal is beyond me like really think about this for a second now even before even get into the un who because they always talk about it from a guise of what they're you know trying to make things equitable and safe for everybody okay put that aside it's ridiculous in and of itself but let's just take the concept of what we're what we're being told that a teacher let's say or anybody's people can talk to a five-year-old a six-year-old that says hey I think I'm a girl I think I'm a boy okay so you're so you acknowledge you talk to him about it and then you go well let's put you on some kind of gen- some kind of gender change well what is that exactly that's about sexuality right we're literally talking about sex and gender Okay, so why is anybody having a conversation about is it even remotely ties to sexual discussion with a child? I just that is the simplest point to possibly make. There's obvious an overlap with sexuality. If you're talking about gender and sex, the inherent point is about sexuality. So why they're having these conversations with children and, and, and not discussing through parents or the idea that parents should be relaying information to their children or the, anybody else should ever be crossing that line is so far outside the bounds. And yet right now what we're seeing is this international push, and we're going to get into even some places where that comes from, very clearly over pressuring large institutions and, pre- and from there pressuring individuals and teachers and authority to push this on people to the point to where they feel uncomfortable even bringing it up. And now we've gotten so far out of control to where basic biological truths are being completely, I mean, it's just like with the climate change agenda, when you really think about it, basic facts being completely circumvented by the narrative and misinformation, which is funny because that's what they like to pretend that we're doing. We're overwhelmed with misinformation. Well, it's actually true, just not in the way they're saying it. 
But let's start off with Sarah Game here, who, of course, the people that think this is bigoted and racist by pointing out biological facts are going to say that this is wrong to talk about. Now, we're going to start with this and listen to what she has to say, just so we can see this very logical, measured statement and, and ask yourself how this could possibly be framed as racist, bigoted, or inappropriate. And then ask yourself, even if you think that, does she not have a right to think this? At what point did we start being the thought police on the surface? It's always been there. But the point to where now we go, well, you're not even allowed to have that opinion. Whoa, 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 whoa. When did that happen? Because obviously the point, well, you can call you a racist, you can call you a bigot, but we've always pretended at the very least that you have a right to think what you want and express what you want. But now it's getting to the point to where even if you think that, we're sussing that out too. Very concerning. So here's what she has to say. President, there are two genders, male and female. Gender is determined by one's biological sex. One cannot simply choose their gender, swap and change. Basic science tells us this. Not only is the difference between male and female clear and obvious, Mr. President, on a gross macroscopic level, but our sex and thus our gender can be exposed and determined by the DNA in every cell in our body. Mr. President, the sex of a baby and thus the gender is determined at fertilization. The event is then recorded in every cell in our bodies as it is reviewed through cellular division. Right. So think about that. Also, the interesting point of the most many of the same people screaming trust the science that just act like this doesn't matter. But what's interesting, though, is what she's talking about is biology and the idea of the beginning of this life form. And then from there forward, the division of those cells, which is simply the continuation of what originally happened. Okay, so the bottom line is now from the perspective of the people screaming about this. Sure, you could feel that way. You can you can say that you can call yourself whatever you want. But technically, biologically, that's not true. Now, I don't know why people have such a big problem with that, because if all you're really saying is that it's my choice, well, then good. Do it. Act. It's your choice. But we are still going to say that behind all of that discussion, you're still a man. And that's the point, because one, we have a right to feel that way. It's technically, scientifically, it makes sense and it's obvious, but it's not really an issue about them being able to call themselves what they want and do what they want to their own body. You see, it's an issue about you thinking that. And that's always been the crux of this. And that was an immediate over crossing a line because we always pretended we have a right to think what we want and express what we want and free speech and so on. And immediately it got, it became clear that, well, you can't even call me anything other than what I'm saying I am. And even in times where I don't even know you and somehow I'm wrong for not knowing somehow some kind of prescient way that you are something you're like the idea of the, the Starbucks one we talked about, or the, the delivery person that shows up and goes, is it Jane? <laughs> like, Oh my God, you misgendered me. It's like, I don't even know who you are, lady. Your name was on the damn thing I just delivered. And you're mad at me for calling you the name that you somehow still have on your delivery service. It's just irrational. So scientifically, you cannot deny what she's saying. <clears throat> This basic biological truth has become a statement one must be too afraid to make. This is ridiculous. I understand the burden of my position and I'll fulfill in this chamber my obligation to what I believe is the silent majority who expect more from their politicians than to bow to the pressure of the left. It seems, Mr. President, we live in a society where small children can better explain what makes a man and a woman than world leaders and eminent figures. 
Our own Federal Department of Health struggled defining a woman, taking four months to respond when questioned in the Senate. Earlier this month, the New Zealand Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, refused to define a woman, stating, people define themselves, and that the question had come out of left field. And the reason that's the kind of pushback you get and why it takes four months to respond is because it's obvious you're stuck and you don't know how to answer it. And you're trying to maneuver this ridiculous minefield of broken minded politics. So you just kind of go, oh, that's right out of left field. And I don't even know. And they can do it themselves. The point is that it's an obvious answer. So either you step up and say there is no definition, which is obviously not true. And that's why they don't say that. But that's what they want people to think. Or you come in and say, well, here it's there's the biological definition. There's only a couple or two ways you can go with that. So the fact that they kind of wobble about it is because it's all politics. They're trying to play both sides of this, right? On an interesting note that I'm thinking of that I wasn't even going to get into, it's the same thing. Like, I'm so frustrated by how you've Donald Trump and that discussion on the CNN panel, how he sits up there and asks about you. Everyone's going, this is what a real statesman looks like. You mean a, a guy that's quibbling, who's not really making any statement, that's kind of walking down the line and trying to get votes from anybody on all sides and not really saying anything that matters, just saying, oh, it wouldn't happen with me and I want them to pay more. Well, what would you do? You know what he's going to do? He's going to do exactly what he needs to do to get what he wants to happen. It has nothing to do with politics that you think are important. Oh, you don't like the vaccine? Well, he thinks it's fantastic. He will support Ukraine as long as it matters to the agenda. And the idea that you think that's not the case in the fact that he won't say it and he'll just wobble back and forth about what he wants. And people act like that's a statesman. That is a politician, guys. That's what a politician looks like. And I can't stand it. You have all these Republicans acting like, he, oh, that's why I like him. Look at that answer right there. All you liked is that he's pushing back on a CNN person and, make, and, and acting like she's ridiculous because it's team sport politics. It's just so painfully, naively stupid to watch that happen and get praised for the classic political doublespeak that he does every single time. Now, I'll give him credit for doing it and making it look like something else. You got that. Some, that's, that's a that's politically smart, but it's not honest. And if you think that he can stand up there and say, Putin's this and bully and, and whatever else he's talking about, and is not going to support Ukraine when he gets pushed into it by the political system, when it's obviously the direction. I mean, it's just, you know, look, I could be wrong. Maybe he's not going to do it. Maybe he gets elected and it doesn't happen. And I'll have happily stand up and say, thank God. But I think we all know that's not true. So the same thing here. When you see these politicians kind of walking the, walking the fence and not really saying it one way or the other, it's the same damn thing. Please see that in Donald Trump. And, well, he didn't have a pre-formulated answer on it. Our children know who is male and who is female, Mr. President. That isn't until they are brainwashed by the woke societal values impressed on them, such as the gender unicorn or gender-bred man embedded into the Year 7 state curriculum. It is vital, Mr. President, that the Parliament retain gendered pronouns he and she, removing essential identifiers at the beginning of the slippery slope in what has quite frankly become a sex confusion pandemic amongst our young people. Now, Mr. President, I don't accept bullying of any kind, but shouldn't this generosity be extended to those who understand there are two genders, male and female, and who want to protect their children? I have spoken to distressed parents of sex-confused children. They adore their children. They love their children unconditionally. But they speak in detail of bullying and harassment in the workplace and school environment for their attempts to do everything right and protective. So what she, the point she's making, and you can disagree with the way she's framing it, the, the right and protective, but what she's talking about is this absurd framing that 
because the parent disagrees with this madness that they don't care about their child. And that's politics for you, right? Oh, you know, the, the way they want it, it's a dehumanization. Suddenly you disagree with this one talking point. Well, you're a demon, right wing conspiracy theorist, madness, wash you, whatever. Just dump it all on them. Call them whatever you want because that's politically acceptable. How disgusting. How do you know what that person feels? You, the point is they just disagree. Now, maybe they're a bad parent. Who knows? There's plenty of bad parents on all sides of the political spectrum. But they just disagree with that and yet still love their children. But, of course, that's not what you get told. And it's the same way you do it anywhere you look in foreign policy or anywhere else. They become the demon bad person that wants to murder everybody because that's what we're supposed to think. Suddenly Muslims to Russians to whatever it is tomorrow. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Adopting the minority ideology and enforcing it on the majority is not right. Not. The 2021 census allowed for the first time to use a third option in the gender category. 0.17% of the Australian population ticked that box. Right. Same thing in this country. We're talking even the entirety of the LGBT community is talking like 7.1%. That was the most recent poll from left-leaning media. So that's, that's just a part of that. A fraction of that is the trans community. And you are literally making this a topic that everybody in the world has to share. That's ridiculous. It should be free choice. Isn't that what we're all about? Apparently not. And we should have known that by now, that that's the reality, that it's always a guise, just like we talked about with the Constitution and the border free zones or Constitution free zones and so on. You make exceptions to the rule, not rules for the exception. Mr. President, school principals are too afraid to speak out for fear of persecution and job loss. Instead right. of protecting society, representing and advocating for our community, community, politicians are often making the matters worse. We've seen bipartisan support for removal of he and she and our own parliamentary committee that consisted of Liberal and Labor members decided the term opposite sex may be discriminatory. <laughs> the parliament is wasting its time on a small percentage of people that want to dictate how we live. And that's the main point right there. Now, I remember a time, and you probably do too, when I saw a video of Newt Gingrich, I believe it was CNN he was speaking with. This was like 2016, 15, something like that. And do you remember when he was on that show? It's the first time I saw this happen and it blew my mind where they were pushing back on FBI statistics, right? And they were saying, well, statistically, it's safer in these areas than it's ever been. And he goes, well, that's not true. And she's like, yeah, here's the stats right here. Now you could all day talk about stats now that's a lie, but that's not the main point. Or it could be a lie. The point is that she's saying, here are the stats. And he's going, well, no, I, I'm talking to people in these towns and they tell you it's not safer. And she's like, well, wait a minute, though. That's so we're talking about opinion versus the statistics. And he goes, well, I'll take the opinion of the people every day of the week. Aha. And there is your point. And this is I think that's a window into what they were realizing, that there's more power in leaning into the mob, letting them dictate the situation and then using that momentum to politically do whatever you want. Right. So it was more important politically for Newt Gingrich to go, you're right, people who think that this is happening, even though we can prove it's not, because if I say that you'll vote for me. That's a problem. And now they're doing it with the lives of your children. It was reported recently that the Legislative Council adopted genderless standing orders in 1999. And at the same time, the House of Assembly uh, attempted this almost 10 years prior. But it can be said that motivations were different then. They were more concerned about gender equality. How can we have equality between the genders if they aren't even recognised or understood? I know the woke brigade think feelings trump fact in lawmaking, but laws based on feelings are fluid and subject to change, which is an unsound basis on which to make laws. 
It is. And, you know, we should also point out that it's the same illusion of equality anywhere else. Do they really want equality or do they just want to flip the table? Right. Because it's very clear that regular men, especially white men, aren't treated equally. Now, I'm not trying to act like there's some persecution. I do think that exists, but that's not my point I'm trying to make. I don't that's not even what I'm trying to get into. It's very obvious that they that community treats people who are supposedly non cisgender or whatever they call them very differently. That's not equality. It's the same thing we see with the other discussions where suddenly, and it's again, it's not everybody. There are genuinely people of any number of minorities that want there to be equality and are fighting for such. There's also people though that say that and then really just want to put white people specifically under their boot so they can say, this is your turn. And we've heard that actually spoken. That's racism. So the point is, there's a lot of people like this, especially in this topic, that don't really want equality. They just want you to feel what they think they went through before. And some of them maybe did, some of them maybe didn't. The point is, it's just about flipping the script. Yet they all scream about equality. Well, for some. It's damaging to society and in particular our children. Parliament must retain fundamental, essential terminology and set an example and uphold truth in this place. Teachers must have the right and confidence to refer to their students as boys and girls. Mr President, in 2013, discrimination based on biological sex was replaced with discrimination based on self-identified gender in the Commonwealth Sex Discrimination Act 1984. This development was a mistake because the hard-won rights of women are being lost and children are being indoctrinated with the belief that they can choose to be male or female. Tonya Javon, a filmmaker in Norway, now faces up to three years in prison for saying that transgender men cannot be lesbian. This is a dangerous precedent to set as punishment for stating the absolute fact. In America, the governor of Florida is before the United States District Court because he supports sex being defined according to biology on the basis of physical characteristics of men and women are enduring, stable and objective. I agree. I stand alone in this chamber today, but I know others here feel the same. Mr. President, I will in the near future be calling this motion to a vote to clarify where we all stand, what we believe in and for public accountability. I commend this motion to the House. Hmm. Well, she's obviously correct, in my opinion, based on biology and facts. But what's really crazy is that the people that speak up about this Right. The people and look, even if you think they're wrong. They get persecuted for it. So what does that show you? How about there? There's an example that I'm going to probably cover very soon. Check out Taylor Hudak's coverage of this on her on her Twitter page. That Dr. Bakhti is right now being persecuted for what they call what in Germany. They argue he's inciting something. And it's simply because of his comparison, as many actual Jewish people have already made, including people that were literally at the that were that lived through the Holocaust, have spoken up and said, this is worse than the Holocaust. Now, whatever your thoughts on that, who else would have a better right to say that than somebody that literally lived through it? Now, you could think they're wrong all you want, but I bet you they know better than you. Now, the point is that this is somebody I think two or three people we've seen who have said that about the COVID-19 tyranny. Now we've seen Andrew Bridgden as well as Dr. Bakhti get persecuted for this because all they're saying is people who have lived through it have compared this to worse than that. Bridgden Bridgden was even quoting a Jewish person saying that, and now they're accusing him of being a Holocaust denier and anti I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And in this it's the same thing here, where you now have this exact situation where people are standing up, doctors, 
and saying, well, here's biology. And then they're getting persecuted to the point of criminal criminal charges in some places in the world. So the point is, you're not allowed to think what you want. There is no free thought. The point is, you have to think what they think or you're going to be in trouble or you better keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Welcome to freedom, apparently. Or equality. Well, the problem here is that this is something that is pushed on the idea that we are bigoted because we don't appreciate what they are. We don't respect their opinions and all this stuff. Well, as I've always said, obviously, and there, there are some that are like that for sure, that just hate anybody that's trans or hate anybody that's gay or hate anybody that's just not like them. That's very real. And a lot of them are hiding that behind the idea that this is about kids and so on. But I think that's a minority personally. I think the vast majority of people see this as a concern because it's obviously politicized and those people don't hate all trans people, but they get framed that way by some of the people in the fringe because that's how this game works. But the real point for me is that there is a, a, an inherent problem with the, even the basic, under, the basic narrative of this whole thing. For example, this is all I hear this a lot. This is a website, believeoutloud.com. And the crux of the point here is what we believe. It says, we believe each of us is made in God's image. Well, I do too. It says, beautiful and beloved, unique and whole. Interesting choice of word. We work for the day when all are treated as equals in our family and communities. Now, this is a, this is a trans website talking about the idea that they believe they're all made in God's image. Okay, well, explain something for me. If you're made in God's image, then why are you changing that? This is this is a bastardization of the very concept of of religion of God. Like the this this offends me. The idea that you're actually trying to use this to act like, well, we are made in God's image. Okay, well, we all agree. So why are you then altering that, or are you suggesting God made a mistake? Well, that seems to undermine exactly what you're saying right here that God doesn't make mistakes. Well, yes, but if you have to alter yourself to reach what you think that is, that's not the same thing. And I don't know why anybody can't see. I mean, the point is, I think most people can see that. That's a problem. You are contorting the idea of something that people hold sacred. This is blasphemous if you really want to break it down. Because what you're doing is deciding for yourself. And, you know, who knows? Maybe you're right. But you're deciding based on your feelings or because some teacher or some crowd or some video convinced you that it was your choice. Well, if it's just your choice, how is that God's image? You see, it's very easy to break down the politicized side of this completely hypocritical situation. That does not mean that the average person out there that just decides to do these things to their body is not, you know, like, as I said before, I have my opinions and I definitely think that that's not, I think that there's something wrong. That's my opinion, but I will always support their right to do that. As long as these things aren't being forced on anybody other than them. Well, that they're doing it to themselves. It's the same, it's the same argument of, you know, taking drugs, let's say, you know, people argue that you shouldn't be allowed. Well, I've always argued, regardless of what it is, it's your choice. It's your body. As long as you're not putting other people in danger, safety of your own home and so on, it's your choice. Now, here's where we get into some of the really, really, really obvious problems to this that are just being broadly ignored. And it just shows on the surface of this that it's not logical and it's not really about equality. Because this is really putting people in danger for this broad idea that it should be like that equality is more important than safety. Because what we're going to talk about here is two different situations, both at YMCA's and different locations of women who are being confronted with full male nudity. So it's a man who has not gotten any surgeries done, who just decides one day that he's a woman 
So he has a full penis, okay? And he is standing in a woman's locker room where there are children present. And apparently that's unacceptable to point that out because you're a, you're a bigot, a bigot racist or whatever. Now, I just can't even wrap my mind around how anybody can honestly have that stance. Now, the point is, that's the point. It's not honest. A lot of people having this stance, it's about politics. But there are people out there that seemingly have been taken by this. How do you make sense of that? Now, even if you want to pretend it's a woman, fine, whatever. I mean, I care about that. But let's just, for the sake of conversation, say this is a woman with a big penis, okay? Are you okay with that being in front of a young little girl? And if so, why exactly? At what point did that suddenly become acceptable? I'd really love to hear you piece that out because I guarantee you, you don't have a good argument for it. So here's what it says. And this is from January 14th, 2023. A California teen cried as she recalled seeing a naked man in her local YMCA, telling the city council in her San Diego suburb that she'd been traumatized by the experience with the person she described as a trans woman. Rebecca is 17 years old. It says, quote, as I was showering after my workout in a woman's locker room, she saw a naked man in the room. She immediately went back to the shower, terrified, and hid behind her flimsy excuse for a curtain until he was gone. Now, imagine this pre the transmania. This would be a huge deal. She's, she's traumatized. It used to matter to these same people 30 seconds ago about sexual, I mean, all of this stuff was, I mean, the whole Me Too movement and oh, oh my God, that's a big deal. And then, and then on a dime, it becomes you're a racist because you care about that same thing. Does it not matter that she wasn't aware that that would happen, that she thought she was in a safe space? These are all the same things that these same people were saying just moments ago. And then suddenly you're the wrong person. You're the one that's being inappropriate because you feel that way. Well, aren't they the same ones saying that it's your choice and feelings matter and it's all about, well, yeah, but apparently your feelings don't matter. This is especially worried her five-year-old sister who goes to the same location, who ends up in that same dressing room, could be exposed to naked men that they're calling trans women. And realize what we're talking about here. Same with the next example. We're not talking about a, a man who's gone through surgery. We're talking about a full biological man who dresses up like a woman. Now it says, and by the way, just so we're clear, that doesn't even need to happen. According to this discussion from California, it's just what you say. That's it. Now, how do we not recognize, and I know most people do, that how that can, how, how do we not see how that can be abused? Right? So, how, oh, so we, we can't fathom a world where a sexual predator will go, ah, perfect. I'm just going to pretend I'm a woman. And apparently you're a bad person for saying that's possible, despite endless records of that literally happening long before trans discussion and during it. Phillips said she was reprimanded by the YMCA, who told her the trans woman had every right to be in the female changing room. So she goes in and says, I, there's a man naked in the dressing room, and they yell at her about it. Women's facilities may be used by anyone in California now that the state law says people must be allowed to use the facility that aligns with their gender identity. Now, how do we discern who's lying about that? Or are we pretending that's just not possible? I mean, this is just inherently, un I mean, everything about this is, un it's not logical. Phillips told the council that she was very upset by the experience. Again, before all of this, that used to be traumatized. That she was sexually traumatized 
Just think about the Me Too movement overlap with what this is and try to make sense of that. How recent that was. She brought up the issue to YMCA management and she was told that, quote, the man she saw was indeed allowed to shower wherever he pleased. So even they were calling him a man. A grown male in the shower alongside a teenage girl at your YMCA here in Sante. She said this shit that she was actually shamed by the YMCA. They made her feel bad about herself. She was made to feel as if she had done something wrong. The, in- the indecent exposure of a male to a female minor was an inconvenience to them. I mean, how did we ever get here? And again, I, I guarantee you there's somebody probably even watching right now who's reporting me to every possible platform. It's crazy. Now, here is a completely separate, very similar situation because it's totally not happening anywhere, right? This is May 1st, 2023, beginning of this month. Trans woman found not guilty of indecent exposure charges after using woman's locker room. This is not the same situation, guys. Different name. The person's name is very different. Here we're talking about wherever it was. Dang it. I hate when I do that. I shouldn't even look. <laughs> if, 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 these are different people. This Philip, Rebecca Phillips and so on. You'll see. So here it is. This is May. A biological male who identifies as a woman. Same situation too. Full male. Was, was found not guilty. Get this. Of three different counts of indecent exposure. After using women's locker rooms in YMCA's in Ohio. There you go right there. Very different place. Think about how dumb it is that it's like the exact same situation, even using YMCA's. You know, you know why that probably is? Because these predators know if that's what we're talking about. And I do think that's part of this because these are people that are not needing surgery, that they're basically just choosing to go into women's locker rooms because they decide so and getting naked in front of women and children. Like, I don't see how that's not a predator. Either way, what we're talking about is people that seemingly recognize that YMCA's not going to do anything about it. So whether or not you think these people are abusing the policy, I guarantee you somebody just got wind of it. And someone's going to go, aha. Darren Glines, who now goes by Rachel, but has not undergone transgender surgeries, so it's a man, was charged with public indecency in December 2022 after three reports that Glines exposed his genitals on three separate occasions while using the women's facility one of which underage girls were present. Okay, so here's the crux of the point, guys. What? Why is that not a secular, you know, overlap with getting into the pedophilia conversation or some sort of overlapping peripheral conversation of an adult exposing himself to a young girl, intentionally so on three separate occasions and then getting deemed not guilty because you're a, rig- you're a bigot for thinking that's not appropriate. Quote, it's unfortunate not only for her, but for the entire community, that the filing of these charges ever occurred, says Glein's lawyer. We are grateful that the rule of law and the truth prevailed so that Miss Glein's, the man, and the community can move on in peace. Who cares about the young children traumatized by being forced to look at this man's penis? The YMCA's front desk reportedly told a woman who complained about seeing a naked male in the locker room that Glines was a woman and not to be disturbed. That's according to the city council president. I mean, how do you possibly make sense of this other than to realize that we're in a really bad way? Now, here is going even further and realizing that you now have the trans community, not, and this is not indicative of every person in this community, 
in my opinion, it's very indicative of the politicized version of this community who is acting out in violence, trans or else kind of conversation. We've seen all of this. This is where we're seeing, this is the kind of eating alive of the very same community that was moments ago fighting for, you know, women's rights and so on, right? So now what you have is this, this is a rape, uh, a rape shelter in Vancouver. It says some people don't know how bad things have become. This is a rape shelter in Vancouver. First, they got sued. Why? Because they only have women volunteers. Some guy really wanted to hear all the rape stories and they said, no. That's this. This is so somebody wanted to hear these and they acted like it was a transphobia concept for them, not letting them listen to the rape stories on their phones and that they all have women. So guess what happened? It was a they first and this this is from the actual rape, the rape relief and women's shelter. They posted a follow up to the dead rat that was nailed to our door recently. This morning, we found this scrawled writing across the windows of our storefront space that we use for support and training groups. Kill turfs, trans power. Turfs go home. You are no not welcome. I mean, this is this is straight out of like Jim Crow era. Like this is what this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. This is bigotry. Yet the people that point this out are the ones being framed as the bigots. It's just it's Orwellian. It's like everything else happening. Anti-fascists are literally fascists. That's the kind of game they're playing. Everyone's confused. It says, then the rape shelter was vandalized. Talk about punching down. The ultimate abuse was that they had funding stripped from them. Why? Because they dared to be a shelter for women. And that's not allowed anymore, apparently. Not even for rape victims. Gotta be inclusive. Only in the way they want, though. And again, I'm only talking about the politicized version of this conversation. When they say who, I mean, you get the point, guys. I mean, this is unbelievable to me. Apparently, we don't care if it's, if, you know, even women now, right? You're, you're a lesbian and you're not part of the team. Now, you, if you don't agree with trans things, you're a bad person. Like, it, it's, just, it's gotten completely out of control. Or it started out of control. Now, here is a really ridiculous story just to kind of show you that this, these are the kind of people who I argue are abusing this. Transgender woman, 24 years old, who raped a friend weeks after being released from prison for child sex offenses is sentenced to nine years in a men's jail, which good. That's where, that's where he belongs. But overall, realize we're talking about a man who's pretending or believes they're a woman who just raped somebody after being released from prison for committing child sex crimes. That is not meant to argue every trans person is like this, but realize that there are deviants that will use things like this. Or this is exactly why we see people in, you know, sexual predators who find their way, who purposely find their ways into position of political power, who purposely find their ways into positions of child protective services because they know it gives them interactions and power over children. Why wouldn't we apply it to the same thing? We should, because that's what's happening in some degree. To some degree. Now, we just talked about on April 16th, the UN doc document that was talking about consensual sex with minors here. It's right here. I'll show it to you. I mean, I, I, I almost I almost was like, this has to be. I couldn't believe that's not that I say that they I don't think that this is something being pushed, but I couldn't believe it was put in plain English right on the website. Right. Here's the document. March 8th principles for a human rights-based approach to criminal law prescribing conduct associated with sex, reproduction, drug use, HIV, homelessness, and poverty is put forward by UN AIDS. Oh, I just forgot the page, of course. Hold on. What was it? 27? Here we are. Now, there's a lot more to go over in this. If you want the, sh the entire show, please check it out. We go over all of this in, in depth, or a lot of it. 
But here under consensual sexual conduct, principle 16, consensual sexual conduct, irrespective of the type of sexual activity, the sex, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, and on and on of the people involved or their marital status may not be criminalized in any circumstance. And then it goes on to say consensual same sex as well as consensual different sex sexual relations or consensual sexual relations with or between trans, non-binary, or other gender diverse people or outside marriage may therefore never be criminalized. Now, at that moment, you may go, okay, well, we're not, they didn't mention anything about children. Well, here's where it gets crazy. And so first, in considering what they just said, there is you are it's you are not allowed to criminalize a trans and non by these kind of relationships right consensual but then it says with respect to the enforcement of criminal law any prescribed minimum age of consent to sex must be applied in a non-discriminatory manner now what does that even mean so now the the, the, the last point is the most important but you're now saying that the minimum age to consent is only apply, applicable if it's not discriminatory at what point do children have any kind? I mean, the point is they're opening the door for abuse. Enforcement may not be linked to sex, gender, participants, age, or consent to marriage. So you, the law enforcement can't now consider the age. Moreover, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual in fact, if not in law. So what they're literally saying is that there are consensual relationships between children, minors, infant, you know, to the point to where we're going to get into it, down to the, the youngest age you can imagine, and an adult. And they, well, they go, maybe in, in fact, but not maybe not in law. But right up here, they make the point to say, well, trans relationships can't be okay. So what you essentially did was create a loophole where you have a situation. Now, this is not law. This is advisory. Regardless, it is being used for people to circumvent this, the, the age of consent. How in the world anybody ever thought that wouldn't be exactly, this is exactly what you think it is, guys. There's no discussion here, whether you're trans or gay or anything else where it becomes acceptable for a minor to be able to magically consent when they're not allowed to do anything else. Now, I guess here's a third example now, right? So now apparently they can't drink or drive or join the military or do any number of things, but apparently they can get trans surgery, they can consent to a dangerous injection, and they can consent to a sexual relationship. Apparently that's now today the world we think, but you can't smoke a cigarette. That'd be, that'd be inappropriate. I mean, my God. And I mean, read through this. Gets into all sorts of things. But this is the new conversation today. Apparently the WHO didn't want to be left out. So Ned uh, Nikolov points out, into this 2010 WHO document, standards for sexuality education in Europe is disturbing. Disturbing. And realize that this has been a long time coming. Here's the document. Now, I can't believe we haven't seen this. The Matrix. Oh, wait, hold on. I want to forget the number. 39, so you can see the top here. WHO Regional Office for Europe, Standards for Sexual Education in Europe. Here's what it says. Talking about the matrix and the age breakdown. Now it says, weirdly enough, apparently this is not about everyone. It's about children. And that's it. Age 0 to 4, 4 to 6, 6 to 9, and to 12, 12 to 15, and then just 15 and up. Which maybe you could argue, I guess, just because they, well, I mean, it's a weird age to break it off, right? 15 and up. Either way, the real point here is kind of mind-blowing. So, and I'm not going to dwell on this too long because it's just hard. To, it's just disgusting. But zero to four, and it's, and it's worse as you go up. 
They're talking about sexual education here, first of all. Now, how exactly is a four-year-old, let alone a three, two, one-year-old, going to understand what you're talking about? Do we really pretend like a four-year-old is going to understand even even just basic things like learning the names of body parts? Like these are children that are barely unable to even truly communicate in an educated way. And you're going to start sitting them down and trying to teach them about bo- positive body image and self-esteem. Trust me, this isn't even the bad part. I'm just saying it doesn't make logical sense. So why are we even talking to four-year-olds about sexuality? That's just not appropriate. It doesn't even make sense. They can't even understand it yet. But here's where it gets really, really inappropriate. Under sexuality. These are the different breakdowns. Information, skills, and attitudes. So under sexuality, information. Enjoyment and pleasure when touching one's own body. A four-year-old? A one-year-old? And who's exactly talking to them about this? Early childhood masturbation. I mean, look, you, you just look up the most basic information and understand the general age of puberty and ask yourself why in the world they would be talking to these th- with, about these things to four-year-olds. Discovery of one's own genitals. The fact of enjoyment of physical closeness and all this, this is where it's really disconcerting for me. Skills. First of all, they're talking about gender identity and really pushing the whole woke concept on children that barely, this is the whole point in my, other than the very concerning overlap with the sexuality drive, which I think there is something nefarious there. Just the idea of getting these children in the same mindset. But here's what it says. Talk about unpleasurable, pleasurable feelings in one's own body. Express own needs, wishes, and boundaries, for example, in the context of playing doctor, a four-year-old, a one-year-old. I mean, this is so far beyond, and this is from, this is not new. Now, you'll see the same things when you go through this. I mean, look at the concept we're talking about, relationships and lifestyles, sexuality and well-being, sexual rights, a four-year-old or a one-year-old. Differentiate between public and private people, all of these things. These are wildly mature topics that we used to dispute even ever being taught in a school setting. Now they're just jumping right over you and going, we'll talk to the your infant and train them. Now, but the point is, four to six, it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff and the same discussions and the same push. It's unnerving. Now, I want to talk about this in a bigger context. Because we have these documents and we have this discussion. Oh, it's right. Actually, we jumped too far. Where were we? Right here. So we have these discussions. WHO, UN, the obvious political push, and as well as the fact that we can prove to you from corporate media perspective, the New York Times is a good example, where they've even written articles saying, well, pedophilia is not a crime. It's a disorder. Well, no, I, I disagree. Maybe at best you could call it both. But how in the world you're going to pretend it's not a crime? Obviously, it's a crime, and it's not something you can even pretend isn't important. Like the idea that you can act like someone can just live with that. Well, no, that's not the way this works. Do you just do you do you have mass murderers that just go? Well, I know I really want to murder everybody, but I can live with it. That's not how this works, and it is at the same level. We're talking about one of the most egregious crimes we could possibly talk about. So the idea of the normalization of pedophilia has been a very real topic that people don't want to talk about. Then we could talk about the Epstein sex trafficking rings and actual tra- pedophilia, but oh, it's still fake news to some people. Now, the point that I want to get into is how this is a real overlap here. Not every trans person, but from a political discussion. 
May 9th, trans minors protected from parents under a new Washington law. Now you've got the state quite literally inserting itself legally and as a barrier between the parents and the children. Do not miss the context of these documents with what we're talking about. You have this loophole of very concerning things. Now, let's, let's, we can get into conversations about children health, uh, like in, from California, the, for the name specifically, I don't know what it's called in other states, Child Protective Services. And the very clear overlap of child trafficking and sexual abuse that is rampant in that discussion. As there's even been articles written by human rights groups saying it's a funnel of human trafficking. That a huge percentage of people that end up in human trafficking came from these kind of foster homes and child protective services. There's always been a problem there. Then you could talk about larger things like peacekeepers and international stuff. I mean, it's rampant. The point, though, is that if they're making loopholes for this exact kind of conversation and then weirdly trying to insert themselves between you and them, that's concerning as hell. Minors minors seeking gender affirming care so again right there the act they act like this is somehow an inner like a human's right violation this is this is a situation where they're creating a loophole to justify that you are somehow able to circumvent the parents and push some life-altering choice on a child that can't smoke a cigarette or go to you know same points but because they want that to be the case minors who want this can now actually petition the government for the government to step in and here's the main point they say intervention from estranged parents ah you say okay well that's the gate like well it has to be estranged well they're all estranged when this child is propagandized to think they want to be something they're not and the parents think hey listen to me you're making a you're making a mistake and they flee away to the groups telling them they're right that becomes estranged even though these parents love their children in some cases want to keep them safe and i'll get into a case about why this doesn't end up the right way in a lot of different cases now, I personally would argue all of them, but the ultimate point being that there's very serious cases of people that are coming back and saying, I made the wrong choice, and that doesn't even get considered. Licensed shelters and host homes in Washington had generally been required to notify parents if a minor came to their care. But now with this new law, they don't have to do that anymore. So now you got children running away from their parents and the state going, shh, come stay with us. We won't tell anybody. Youths will also be allowed to stay at host homes, private volunteer homes that temporarily house young people, which is going to be abused. Now, maybe not all of it. I'm sure some of them have the best of intentions. That doesn't mean there won't be abuse within those places they don't know about. But I guarantee you there will be people that position themselves right there to take advantage. More than half a dozen states from New Jersey to Vermont to Colorado have passed or are considering similar bills. Or executive orders, because, you know, we don't care about the process anymore. As long as transgender health care, right, get what we, we get what we want. In Michigan, Democratic Governor Gretchen uh, Whitmer in March signed a bill outlawing discrimination on the basis of gender identity. Oh, OK, so another ridiculously redundant law that we didn't need? Because guess what, guys? There was already laws about discrimination about gender. But they had to put the identity word in there because then it went. No, it's meaningless. It's just like passing a law that criminalizes lynching. Well, guess what, guys? There was already a law against murder. There was already a law against violence and, and assault. So the idea that you wanted to make it a very specific law against specifically lynching was all about politics and patronizing certain people. That's all it is. Same thing here. So she can stand up and say, I'm fighting for the trans community. All you're doing is wasting everybody's time because there was already a law about exactly that. That, 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 that the gender identity and everything else already fall under or fell under, excuse me. 
shield protections have been enacted this year in Colorado, Illinois, New Jersey, New Mexico, California, Massachusetts, and Connecticut passed their own measures last year, largely barring authorities from complying with subpoenas. So now you have literal states, uh, you know, authorities at odds, legally speaking. So why do those subpoenas not matter? Aren't they legally binding? Well, apparently you have these safe havens now, which we've talked about before, right? My point was always the same. If it's an adult, who cares? Let them go run to the other country and get the care they think they need. I don't even understand why we think that. The, well, here's the main point, actually. Most of these governments are not actually passing anything in regard to gender affirming care or whatever nonsense you want to call it for adults. Almost every single one of these has to do with children. And the fact that it's such a big issue to, me- to make sure children have the ability to do things, that's a problem. Just like anything else. But the point is that they create these laws into the guys that, you know, adults want to flee from these states and get care somewhere else, but then it becomes about children. And then you combine that with these different laws from the UN to the WHO and then actual states passing laws that put them between your... And there you go. It says arrest warrants or extradition requests from states that have banned gender-affirming treatments. Those who oppose gender-affirming care raise fears about long-term effects treatments have on teens. No, what we're really concerned about is the fact that it's even happening with children to begin with. The idea that there's long-term effects applies to everybody. Argue research is limited in focus, particular and irreversible procedures such as genital surgery or mastectomies. Yet, those options are rarely performed on minors. Well, that's actually not even... There's a, there, it's a mixed bag, but we are already seeing the push to make this happen as early as possible. Now, it says doctors typically guide kids towards therapy or voice, vo- voice coaching long before medical intervention. Puberty blockers, anti, uh, what is it, uh, androgenes and that block the effect of testosterone and hormone treatments are far more common. Well, yeah, but guess what? That's just as concerning or almost as concerning. The point is these puberty blockers are, they have very serious long-term effects that have barely even be fleshed out. They're not meant to be used the way that they're using them. And many doctors have spoken up about this. So you're hurting people, no matter how you spin this. Here's where it gets even more concerning. So now we've got a law where the government is stepping in between and saying, you can't, you know, as long as your kid tells me that you're like, at what point did the kids start deciding and the parents are the ones that are being boxed out? Think about how ridiculous and backward all this is. But then, to show the crux of the issue, we have things like this happening. Arizona court upholds clergy privilege in child abuse case. So we have a court literally going, well, because you're clergy, we're going to support your right to not divulge what you know about child abuse. How does that possibly make sense other than protecting the fact that they will, that there's abuse? April 11th, the Arizona Supreme Court has ruled the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can refuse to answer questions or turn over documents under a state law that exempts religious officials from having to report child abuse. Because that makes sense, right? Let's make sure that they don't have to tell you when children are being sexually abused. A lawsuit filed by sex abuse, uh, child sex abuse victims accuses the church, widely known as the Mormon Church, two of its bishops, and other church members of conspiracy and neglect or negligence in not reporting church member Paul Adams for abusing his older daughter as early as 2010. This this negligence, the lawsuit argues, allowed Adams to to continue abusing the girl for as many as seven years, a time in which he also abused the girl's infant sister. Now, this is verifiable. We'll show you why, even in this article. Now, what they're arguing is that they 
should be, have the right to not have to divulge that information. I don't, I, I don't see any context in which that ever makes sense. Quote, unfortunately, this ruling expands the clergy privilege beyond what the legislature intended by allowing churches to conceal crimes against children. Quote, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints agrees with the Arizona Supreme Court, they said. We are deeply saddened by the abuse of these children suffered and children and, ch and ch uh, the church, excuse me, has no tolerance of abuse. That's the end of the quote, by the way. You, you, you would you, you won't be for you'll be forgiven for not for uh, anyway. Obviously, there's a problem there. So they say we agree with what they decided. So we're glad they give us the ability to not divulge child abuse. And then the second sentence, we care about child abuse. You you think there'd be a third sentence there, right? No, no. We we dive we we reserve the right to not tell you we abuse children and we care about child abuse. Adams had also posted videos of himself sexually abusing his daughters on the internet, boasted of the abuse on social media, and then confessed to federal law enforcement agents who then arrested him in 2017 with no help from the church. The point is that they're trying to get information about this right now, and they're using this law and saying, we don't want to. So you have a guy who they know, and you can prove knew, they knew he was abusing these daughters for seven years. He posts videos of him doing it on the internet. He brags about it. And the only reason he ever got caught was because he confessed to federal law enforcement. This is the biggest, this is everywhere. And I'm not, I don't mean that in the sense that it's, you know, the point is that this is being allowed from top echelons of society. That is, this is why we've talked about the concept of pedophilia and positions of power. People like Dennis Hassert, second in line to the president under George Bush, literally being called a serial child molester by the judge or Epstein or Jimmy Seville, or any of these conversations we've had over the years. On December 15th, the Arizona Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the church. So that's not just the church now. This is the court from Arizona saying it did not have to turn over the records of the guy who posted sexual abuse of his daughter online and bragged about it. But the Arizona court said, no, 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 you don't have to. Let's keep that secret. Lawyers representing the Adams girls and one of their brothers took the case to the Supreme Court, where that also got put down. Do you start to see the problem? Most of us, as people in the world, see this as a problem. The power structure clearly does not. And that's concerning. Well, Derek has been doing some excellent work on the Utah Ritualized Sexual Abuse Investigation, which, if you haven't heard about this, is a real discussion. This guy right here is the sheriff, has initiated this entire investigation. Utah County's office, uh, Sheriff's Office sets off debate with an investigation into what he found, which is literal. And now evidence has flushed out since then, as you can see, this has gone forward, of ritualistic child sex abuse. This is the thing they dismissed a long time ago is the, sa the, the satanic panic. Well, his point in this is that it's not necessarily about Satan or so on. It's just ritualistic. But it's happening. This per I I'm not going to get you watch this if you really this. There's a lot of good work here. A lot. Now, this one of the recent discussions, actually, the accused serial child abuser, David Hamblin, has he was arrested and given bail. But these people are the very same people that have been hidden by the church in Utah for years. It's a very real problem, and it's not just about Mormons. It's about the power structure. Now, here is a very concerning overlap of this conversation that this is just one example, and I've shown you others. 
This is somebody, this is this person's name is Daniel. He says, I took this picture the day before my bottom surgery. So it's a biological woman. I was so excited then, I didn't know it would be the worst decision of my life. Now you can follow this account, check it out for yourself. I've been I've been following this as well. It's just very sad, isn't it? Now, all I'm saying is that this is possible. I argue it's more likely than you realize. And probably most people that go through this with the rap, the, the politicization, where seemingly most of the conversation absorb is somehow involving this conversation, yet we're talking about a small percentage of the population. And then you get that. The point being is that talk it, the, the, the push ends up for, manipulating certain people that have never even, who have never, would, would have never even considered this into thinking that they can simply just choose and then they regret it for the rest of their life in some cases that is happening and if that's even possible it needs to be part of the conversation and it's not they push back on this like you're a bad person it's it's like it's like forcing the injection on people and then when they get hurt by it calling them a conspiracy theorist it's the same thing this does daniel's life not matter march 19 2019 and the, as Matt says here, we all have to have, you know, to live with regrets. And thanks for sharing your story to help others learn from your experience. It's not easy. It's very sad. And there's, there's a, there is a lot of this. Now, actually, we just played a video recently of one of these experts telling you that it's far more prominent than you realize. That, in fact, the majority of these people at some point end up going back the other way. But we don't talk about that. Now, here's an interesting overlap. Hillary Clinton decides to speak out on March 22nd, 2023. Girls in Afghanistan should be going back to school tomorrow, but the Taliban is only allowing boys to be educated. Well, who knows if that's even accurate or real, but of course, you know, they care about that, but, you know, they don't care about the fact that the Taliban has destroyed the opium, the opium that they've been growing for all of the problems they've been conducting, and suddenly there's a shortage of, of, of opioids all over the world. <laughs> How do we not miss what that shows you? The U.S. government, during their occupation, has been growing and using the opium for Afghanistan. Oh, shocking! <laughs> it's obvious. The point, though, is that they don't care about any of that because they never did. All they want to care about now is pushing their political and social and woke politics on everybody else around the world. But I'm not saying that girls in Afghanistan shouldn't be able to go to school. But the point is not that today. The point is that she's pushing this concept. even And, and then the, the Taliban <laughs> chimes in. Or rather, the Taliban Public Relations Department, which is which is apparently real as far as I can tell. It says... You spent $700 million in our country trying to teach women and girls that there are 140 different genders. No wonder you lost the or to the orange gangster. You left a huge mess behind in Afghanistan, just like your husband did with that dress. <laughs> pretty funny. But guess what? You won't be surprised to find out. Here's, this is the actual account. You can check it out. The electric gangster Elon Musk preaches free speech while doing the exact opposite behind closed doors. They got censored for that tweet, guys. In fact, they had to start. They, they, this is the secondary account. Now, does that make sense to you? Does it fall in line with what Republicans frame him, the, of Elon Musk? That this person, this, this account would literally call out Clinton for exactly what she did do and make a joke about Bill Clinton and they get their account shut down? It says the reply to Hillary Clinton is not a valid reason for the suspension of our previous account. If he suspends us again, we'll receive no, he says, he will receive no lithium from our glorious nation. Either way, the fun, the point about this, whether it's actually Taliban or not, is that ultimately Elon Musk or Twitter is directly censoring information that has nothing to do with even their current policies. 
Apparently, Clinton has some pull in Twitter <laughs> or however you want to look at this. It's not free speech. And Elon Musk is not on your side. Wake up, guys. In any case, I thought that was a perfect time to include that discussing the overlap of the genders and what they were pushing on countries that didn't want it. On top of the fact that while they were present in Afghanistan, there was all sorts of proof that they were allowing Afghan men to rape little boys, even on military bases. That's not hypothetical. It was an open conversation. And they just said, well, that's their culture. It's beginning to look a little different now, isn't it? Well, here is another overlap. An interesting segue from Clinton, especially to this conversation. Oh, think people with like Abramovich and the same discussion. This is important to understand that there's a real push politically in the art world and elsewhere to push these kind of concepts from like an elitist high level discussion. And I only say that because I do think that there is a type of a, 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 a what do you call, like a circle, I guess, or a community of people in these high level, the kind of people that utilize what Jeffrey Epstein was selling, right? That exists guys. And it's all around the world. Especially when you look at things like even the Saudi overlap or these high level Saudi bazillionaires or over they well, they are, I mean, I did an entire segment about this a while back about how the Saudi nationals seemingly come over here all the time and basically just rape women. And then they just get shuttled back to South Saudi Arabia with the help of the state department. There's, I mean, just take a minute to look it up. When you get a second, there is an unbelievably long track record and these people just get flown back home. While they're being accused, there, there have been cases where local police departments have held them and the state, the, the government steps in, they go flying back home. It's just unbelievable. Now, in any case, back to the point that I believe that there is a true problem here. The, the, in, the, the influencing of people with this kind of mindset. Now here on, on Cultured from May 9th, 2023, it says five of the world, the wildest acts of vandalism in art history. Now it says Miriam Khan's work which is called F-U-C-K, F-Abstraction, 2007 to 2022, was just recently spray-painted purple by a visitor to Paris's uh, Palais de Tokyo earlier this week. This is what it is. Now, you, you, you see it correctly. This is a picture of a grown man forcing a small person to give him fellatio. Okay, and that, that's supposed to represent wartime abuse is what the argument is. Well, you'd be forgiven for thinking that looks like a child because it does. Quite frankly, it is a child. And I'm going to show you why it's very obvious what this is. And the problem is, and that's the whole point, is the people that did this are saying this is pedophilia, the normalization, and it's not okay. controversial painting was vandalized with spray paint. Now, of course, Macron spoke up and said, how dare they do that? And we shouldn't allow this and blah, blah, blah. It says the painting entitled F abstraction on display since mid-February shows a person with their hands tied behind their back being forced to perform oral sex on a faceless, powerful man. Critics have said the victim in the painting depicts a child, which Khan apparently denies. Several children's rights groups have denounced the painting as child pornography, calling it for it to be withdrawn. So it's understandable that people would lash out again against it. Now here, somebody just puts this up so you can see it without the paint on it. This is real. And I'm going to show you even more of her work and some others that overlap with this conversation. Now here, somebody steps in. Oh, oh well, here's the, the Macron, you know, saying he slams an act of vandalism. 
on this day, we celebrating the victory of freedom. And uh, this is, you know, May 8th, same thing, victory day. I condemn the act of vandalism committed yesterday. The act of art was, you know, just the point. He's acting like this is free. Uh, art is always free and cultural creation is always respected and guaranteed. <laughs> I guess, you know, so it is when they when it's just blatant sexual child pornography. But this person chimes in and says, the artist, Khan, said, these are not children. These paintings deal with how sexuality is used as a weapon of war, as a crime against humanity. The contrast between the two bodies shows the, pow- the, body, the bodily power of the oppressor and the underdog, kneeling and oppressed during war. Well, okay, well, if we're talking about sexual abuse, let's make sure we realize the biggest culprit of exactly that, which is the U.S. government. Take a look at any of the many different things that were discussed post-Iraq war and the trials that took place and the testimonials that were given about how soldiers were literally ordered to rape children in front of their mothers. I'm not making this up, guys. That is the U.S. military and people involved with it doing that in the Iraq war. Plenty of people have spoken out about that. So make sure we understand what is, you know, where this is stemming from. But either way, I don't believe that's what it really is. It says, which makes sense. Because he, this is him saying this, because it is painted in a way that elicits horror upon the viewer. Well, that's true, as we see it on this thread. She says there were similar paintings done by a woman who suffered from PTSD due to being molested as a child, but nobody would claim that she was promoting pedophilia. Yeah, I th- I would I would same with this guy. I will I claim that, <laughs> and he posts the link right here, and we'll, we'll take a look at this. Apparently, she's got hundreds of different personalities. That's interesting. Well, first of all. Oh, actually, this, oh, this was, uh, did I, hold on, did I get it mixed up? Oh, actually, I think I just went away. So the point was, first of all, Miriam Khan, which you can look at the rest of her work. It's, it's very similar. There's a lot of this weirdness to it. But he points out, here, let's just, I thought I had it open, actually. Hold on. Just so we can look, so you can see the, the overlap. The other one is Kim Noble we're going to talk about here. Miriam Khan art. So you'll see a lot of these weird kind of disturbing. Now, a lot of these do have the look of, you know, wartime kind of overlap here. But there's a lot of it that is inappropriate. That seems to suggest children specifically. And abuse. Now, the one that I really want to get into this next one is. Kim Noble. And the work that that she's done. That's the one that he was just referencing. That's why I went to that next. Kim, this is her right here. Kim Noble. Well, here's some of her work. Now, you will recognize some of this. Because there was a, some of these that were overlapped in the discussion of the whole Pizzagate discussion. The, the massive psyop that it ultimately was. That's not to say that there wasn't real, obvious human trafficking and pedophilia in positions of power. The, the narrative became a complete manipulation. The reality of it with things like Clinton and Silsby and the trafficking from Haiti and where all these things were really at, that was what was meant to be hidden, in my opinion. But there very is a real topic here. But you'll recognize some of these things. Like this one. And how we're not supposed to see that for what it is. A ritualistic manipulation. On a lot of these pictures. Things like this. Where it's obvious what we're looking at here a grown-up, and a child. And of course, we recognize that she herself was abused, and that makes sense. But the point is, this is being paraded around as art, when in reality, what we're talking about is basically child pornography. Now, of course, that's my opinion. You could decide for yourself. 
But it's a problem for me when this gets normalized and act, you know, and this becomes acceptable. And then you get this overlap for people that act like, well, it's just art. And where does that line begin to blur? Here's some of these pictures from her work saying basically the same point they're arguing is that this is the normalization of child pornography. Some of these are really disturbing. Children in cages. I'm not even sure what that's supposed to be. I mean, this one in particular was really concerning to me. Now here is her work posted publicly. Well, you'll see some of these. Show you a couple of the specific ones that stand out that you'll recognize. Right here. See, this this, this was the, the body of work right here. I mean, there's this one specifically that's very obviously concerning. But what I find very telling is that some of the most obvious ones, which we can prove are hers, aren't there. Now, why is that? If this is not supposed to be inappropriate and it's really just an expression of art, then why would you remove the ones that seem to be controversial? Isn't art always supposed to be controversial? Here she is on a Wayback Machine version of her her art. And you will see all the other ones that aren't there, including the one that I think is the most ridiculous. So ask yourself, why is she taking these down? Why aren't they included in her body of work on her current main website? I'm not saying that proves anything, but I do think it's interesting. I think it's either because she realizes that people perceive it wrong, and that's not how she meant it. She took it down, which does then suggest that there was a problem with it, or it is what we think it is, and that doesn't that's a problem because we're paying attention to it. Either way, all of that aside, it's all opinion. I'm just just discussing this. The problem for me is how this is normalizing the idea of child manipulation, of child sexual encounters, and child pedophilia, or just pedophilia. It's what we're talking about. And then we overlap this with the conversation of the UN and WHO documents that are completely opening the door for this normalization. And then the government stepping in between. That is wildly ridiculous. Now, let's talk about COVID-19. The idea here on all of these topics, guys, is that in every possible way, the government is trying to tell you how to live your life and how, to, you, how your children are supposed to think and act. And you're supposed to allow the sexual encounters with the government to teach them how to be the way they want them to be. All of this is so ridiculously over the top. So in the COVID-19 conversation, it's very clear that all of this from top to bottom was something other than what we were told. And I believe there's a bigger agenda here to push forward into the direction of where this all seems to be going. And that does overlap with the original conversation of transhumanism. It may be abstract. It's, I get it. It's a, it's a reach for some people that have not connected all these dots. And maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? But I do truly believe that from beginning to end, we are talking about one bigger thing here. Now, Sunel uh, 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 Dinad, MD, who I just recently saw, I'm familiar with him, who he just said something I really like. He simply spoke up on Twitter yesterday and said, Dear fellow physicians, you knew that it wasn't going to stop transmission. You stayed silent. You saw some people have significant side effects. You stayed silent. You knew natural immunity was real. You stayed silent. You knew mandates were unethical and you stayed silent. Good for you, man. Like it takes courage right now, even still. It took more courage back, you know, a year ago, but it still takes courage now. 
Here's this guy speaking up saying, Jesus, are you an actual doctor? Question mark and exclamation because he means it. Number one, no one said it was tested to stop transmission. (laughs) I mean, think about how dumb these responses are. Yeah, man, almost everybody did. Now, I made the point about this that you could prove that wasn't the case from the very beginning. But yeah, Fauci, Walensky, the CDC, the media, everywhere, all said that. And Gates said that. We have it on record, man. But of course, you just like narrative. And so you go with what the current narrative is. Then he goes on to say, the chances of severe side effects is minuscule. I mean, is this guy just completely lying? Or is this the most uninformed person on the planet? Do they actually think what they're saying? I don't know. And then number three, duh, this one really has me questioning your credentials. What, the natural immunity? He says, you have to be a doctor to know about natural immunity. Even my kid does. You don't have to be. The issue is you need to be infected to build it. Like the idea, this is, these are all these current state of the narrative. Well, historically speaking, especially when this is less than the flu, which it is, what, like chicken pox, for example, that's what you did. Because it's not a risk. But they pretend it is, so they argue you should do this anyway. Take the thing that's a net harm. Take the thing that gives you one in 800 serious adverse events because of something less than the flu, because logic. These people are lost, man. And it's very sad, but there are people out there, doctors included, that actually care. Now, people are seeing this stuff, guys, and I really want there to be a positive note to this, especially the COVID-19 angle here, as well as all of it, guys. I really believe that most people see a lot of this. But Dr. Jonathan Engler points out that the paper was designed to report on validation of the the studies pointing at the the Q-COVID risk, but it contains a fascinating nugget, which had not contained before, talking about the period of dosing 96 percent of the related deaths occur within 14 days of dosing and we've talked about all of this so it's just nice to see more and more of this coming out and we've talked about this study too but i want to include this yet again and I, this is for for those out there who pretend that like this platform or a lot of independent media are just minuscule and don't influence and don't matter like a lot of people like the last american vagabond for example are way, way bigger than the corporate media and the controlled flow of information will allow people to see. So in this one case, for example, here is just a clip of one of our shows that I have shown before has a million views. It's a million something at this point. It just doesn't, it's, it's, you know, moving up still. Now, yes, I actually question whether that's even accurate. I question Rumble in general right now. But other places, for instance, we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. I got almost a million views on a video on uh, YouTube in regard to the 5G rollout of Trump during COVID-19. And of course, that was what got us censored because can't have that happen. Can't have TLAV going viral. But the point is, guys, that there is a lot of reach out here. And it's far more than they realize. Like, it's not a coincidence that The Last American Vagabond, again, other people in the independent media, are getting the same kind of interviews that end up on Fox and CNN. Why would that make sense to anybody unless we're at the same level? Now, they're not talking about resources, understand, but even better, we don't have the same resources and we're still winning. <laughs> Just realize that we really do reach guys. And it's, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm talking about generally, but yes, also specifically T-Lab, but there's a lot of great media out there that are even way bigger than me. But again, some of them that are kind of perceived that way, you know, like Highwire or Jimmy Dore and so on that are out there, you know, operating at the level of the corporate media, essentially. But people like us who are well, well, well below that when it comes to resources are still reaching the same amount of people for the most part. That's pretty powerful. And that's because of you. 
Now on that note, quickly, since I brought it up, I'm going to be talking about this more in the future, but you know, I mean, Scott and I were just talking about this in general that, you know, we, we, I'm very motivated right now to make something, to take another step. I just feel at the time. So I'm going to be trying to find people to continue to support this platform on a large level. Now, of course, I will never do that in a sense that's, you know, Influ- like where you you know some company is going to have influence over what we do and so on. It's always going to be based on the idea of a one way process where they believe what we're doing and they want to support that. That's it. But those people do exist. Believe it. I've been dealing with them my entire career so far. So I want to find those people out there that believe in what we are doing. They believe in the Last American Vagabond. That also have a lot of resources. That want to see this platform become something that can rival the mainstream media more so than we already are. If you're like that, reach out to me. I, I, we are going to take these steps and we are going to try to make this happen. We want to end up in a real studio with multi cameras and make the whole real thing happen with a team behind us and so on. We're, we're, we're almost there. We are getting there right now. If you're paying attention out there, we're looking for you. Okay. So point being, we're making a difference and you're doing that. And, and the, the, what I was coming from the very beginning is that people are paying attention because of that, right? They're waking up. Now, let's get into the misinformation that's still flying out, if you can actually believe that. As June says, this article turns my stomach, and it should. Miscarriages, stillbirths, and children born with heart issues after mothers were convinced to take a vaccine they probably didn't need, or they guarantee they didn't need. The EU inquiry tells us that it was never tested on pregnant animals, let alone humans, from 2022. But, and thank you, uh, Gam Gam Dion, or however you pronounce that, for pointing this out. This is spiked.com garbage in my opinion and not just because of this title no the covid jab is not dangerous for pregnant women it's really what it says here's the article vaccine skeptics need to drop their baseless fear-mongering baseless well, let's get into how ridiculous these people are. Fear-mongering has been a constant throughout the pandemic they basically say that you know the government fear-mongered about lockdowns why are you doing the same thing about the vaccines? Like that's, a, you know, you're so, what a smart point. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's like they think by giving us a bone and acting like we all agree on lockdowns that we're going to somehow be more susceptible to their lies about vaccines. We're not that dumb. We're not that feeble-minded. The week, this week, several tweets have gone viral making baseless claims, they say, that the government has quietly changed its advice on pregnant women. According to fear mongers, the COVID vaccine is no longer considered safe for pregnant women. And the government is now advising them against taking it well we've already talked about this part of it from the from the uk government points standpoint right here you can see that it says updated march 17th 2023 and this you've seen this we've talked about it here's what the uk says on their own document right here in the context of supply under regulation 174 it is considered that sufficient reassurance of safe use of the vaccine in pregnant women cannot be provided at this time now, the point they make in the article as well, they're talking about this from the original text from 2020. Well, yeah, okay, that is the case. And this was updated March 17th, 2023. And the information, which I'll prove to you, is still there. But, you know, let, let them make their, their screeching case about how we're all conspiracy theorists. Here's what it says. According to the fear mongers, the COVID vaccine is no longer considered safe. This was prompted by the discovery... I don't even know why it's in quotes, like they're trying to diminish everything of a technical document last week published by MHRA. It says the document was originally published in 2020. Well, that's technically accurate, but this document, as it says, was updated March 17th, but appears on a government website with an updated timestamp. 
August. Now, this is because this is what was posted. A screenshot of part of the document referencing the updated timestamp has since been circulating on Twitter. For certain COVID skeptics, this was proof that the vaccine was a threat to women and that the government had surreptitiously revised its advice. Well, only if you're as subjectively assuming as you, because for those of us that don't blindly assume what we want to hear, all it means is that they don't know that it's safe. See my point? I'm sure plenty of people that just, oh, that means it's so dangerous. Well, I actually agree that it's dangerous. But what's funny is that from their perspective, if we don't know that it's safe, that means it's not dangerous. Which I swear to you, that's actually what they're going to argue in this article. So they make the point that, well, you know, it just says we don't know. But you're wrong for assuming that means it's dangerous, but we're going to argue that means it's not dangerous. See, it's okay one way, just not in your way. Either way, it says this is scaremongering nonsense, as stated in the wording screenshot from 2020. Well, again, it was updated recently. As the document itself states clearly, these judgments reflected absence of data at the time. Well, isn't that the whole point? The absence of data at the time of the study. Well, yeah. So go, feel free to point out to me where they've done that since then. Oops, they haven't. They've done animal rat studies that they actually they extrapolated from the wrong vaccine anyway, but they haven't done this. And I'll show it to you right now. As it stands, the government states that the COVID vaccine is strongly recommended for pregnant women. Yeah, that's exactly the problem. So you're taking the statement that says, we don't know, ignoring that and saying the government said, do it. You're making my point for me. You're willing to blindly trust what the government says, despite all the things. Didn't you just point out they lied about lockdowns? Think about how stupid that is. Meanwhile, the data actually says, well, we don't know because we never looked. But it says, well, there is no evidence of negative health outcomes. Okay, you just made my point. There's no evidence. Now, the way they frame that makes it sound like that means that they've tested. They have it. The point is we don't have any evidence of negative or positive because we didn't look. But they are, that's being very deceptive right there. But it says there is evidence that COVID itself is dangerous. That's always the way they go. COVID's so much more dangerous. Take the risk because you don't. It's not dangerous. It's less than the flu, according to the leading science on the topic from the Ionitis Group peer-reviewed. But let's get into the actual facts. Well, this is what I've posted many times, and I've made this very clear about the reality that this is untested. How can the COVID jab, bivalent and original, be recommended as safe to pregnant and breastfeeding women when the current documents don't, they say that they don't even know? Even the CDC saying, safe for pregnant people. But at the time when that was posted, as well as right now, here's what the most current ones still say. Now, this one hasn't been updated since November 2022, but this is the main document. This is the ema.europe.eu document for literally all of them, including the bivalent. So there's no way for, we can to pretend this is some old version. This is the bivalent, and that's the one, the current level, right? And as I've shown you many times, the safety profile of the vaccine is not fully known. Because they were excluded from the trial. And they say post-marketing experience. Well, that's real world stuff. And that is being lied about. Because they're denying all the various reports. They're ignoring all the things they say. For, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. So you don't get to pretend nothing's happening. But that's what they're doing. And don't forget, this same document made all those other points clear too. Which is that they didn't test it in immunocompromised people. They didn't test it in elderly people. They didn't test it in autoimmune people. They didn't test it alongside other vaccines. All these points. Still the same right now, but go out and get your flu vaccine right next to it because we don't know if it's safe. They'll tell you it is, though. Well, here's another interesting point. 
I just found this. This is new, by the way, because I just looked at this not too long ago. The FDA document, the, 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 the current data on the FDA's page about the bivalent shot, guess what? It's gone. Now, I'm willing to bet they probably made some new version of a page somewhere else, but that's not how this is supposed to work. I don't know why it's taking so long to load. Here's the Wayback Machine version. We'll co- wait for that to load. I mean, look, this is as of April 8th. April 8th, 2023. This was up. So at some point after April 8th, they just took this page down on the FDA's page. Even though this is about the same point. This is this was last updated, same thing, December 2022. But you can see April 8th, this was the current version online. And this is what it says. Pregnancy, no data. No data are available about Pfizer vaccine bivalent during pregnancy. And yet they're pretending otherwise. You guys, most of you have already seen all of this, but it's just kind of mind-blowing. Same with lactation, no data, which means we, based on the peer-reviewed science that we've already seen, that they are absolutely excreting these things, specifically spike protein. See, here it is. Oh, look, an internet site error. Weird. When I looked at it before, it said 404 error. Something's going on, guys. Now, maybe it's that they're altering things right now. It's going to come back up. I don't know. But it's important to catch it in real time. It's unavailable. How do you possibly make sense of that? The fact is we've constantly seen how they've altered and alt manipulated and deleted definitions and changed things. And they are running from this right now. It's very clear. So here's why it's important to point out another excellent post from the defender from today. Leading OBGYN group took $11 million from the CDC to push COVID shots on pregnant women. That's why we know for a fact that they don't even know if it's safe. And I can prove to you that it's not safe. But the point is, to be accurate, that the the facts are they don't know. Their own data shows you they never even look. I, I would be willing to argue they probably did and saw that it was dangerous and didn't tell you. Like That's like everything else we've seen. Like the phase three trial that says 36% more risk for the Pfizer shot versus placebo. And the only reason we know that is because it was reevaluated by other people. And it's peer reviewed. It's right now on the website on, on, I think, at least severe science direct. Highly regarded. Funny that both CNN and Fox have missed that. Missed that, right? The point is that's their own trial data from the beginning. And we were told, what, 99% effective? Oh, sorry, we went 36% more risk. <laughs> Oops. It's just ridiculous. So they pushed it because of money. The CDC bankrolled the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to the tune of $11 million to promote COVID vaccinations as safe and effective for pregnant women, according to an investigation, despite the opposite being true. Now, as they all scream that it's still safe and we know it's okay, we're seeing things like this continue to happen. Now, this is very concerning for me with the overlap of how we know, based on peer-reviewed science, that the spike protein is very clearly continuing to be made. It is continuing to to synthesize. That's what pure, the highest level of the peer-reviewed research is showing us, that the mRNA vaccines promote sustained synthesis of the spike protein. And we know that we can see it 28 days later, circulating a bloodstream. And we know that we have multiple autopsies finding mRNA and, this, and, and, and lipid nanoparticles and spike throughout the body of these dead people. So the point is, it is passing to these children in dangerous ways. And now what we're seeing is babies die in unusual cluster 
of heart infections. May 4th. Now, when they mean cluster, they make it sound like it's an outbreak. Well, yeah, you could frame it that way, or you could just realize that young babies that I'll show you the statistics are wildly in wildly unprecedented fashion are breaking out with myocarditis in perfect correlation with the influx of children after vaccination. A baby has died and nine others have been treated after a cluster of myocarditis. It is investigating the, the, the uh, enterovirus cases and babies, all of whom are under a month old when they fell ill. All of them. The same kind of time frame after being born. The babies developed myocarditis. Right? Now, I'm not saying I know for sure that that's the case, but we do know that we should ask that question. Because it's obvious that there is an overlap here and the risk is clear. Here is the actual number breakdown. I found this study. This is from 2001. Myocarditis in infants and children. Here's the number. Clinically, the manifestation of myocarditis is relatively uncommon in infants and children, which again, overlap that with the argument of all these children having myocarditis and they act like it's totally normal. It represented only 0.3%. That's infants and children, guys. 0.3% of, not the entire population, 0.3% of 14,323 patients seen over a 23-year period. That's just over 14,000 patients. Over 23 years, only 0.3% of all of that was children and infants who had myocarditis. That is a minuscule, not, not statistically significant number. It says some clinical myocarditis is much more prevalent. On the other hand, classic histological features of myocarditis have been documented in infants and children who are victims of sudden unexpected death. Oh, well, what do you think caused it? We don't know. Well, why don't we start asking what SIDS and SADS is is actually connected to? You know, this this catch-all long COVID and catch-all everything else, it's the same game, guys. I'm convinced that that is a vaccine side effect. In part, at the very least. Now, the point is, the small number. So now go back and overlap that with nine babies in a cluster, all in one hospital coming from the same, that something is obviously wrong here. Now, it may just be something else, too. It's, you should not discount that. Something, some things do happen. But it's amazing that we can't ask these questions today. And I think we all know why. Now, Retsef Levy points out that calling vaccine-induced myocarditis rare and mild is outrageous. And we've made this point. Clinical rates are as high as 1 in 2,500, and subclinical rates likely 50 to 100 times higher. This paper illustrates, again, how serious it is, showing high percentage of residual heart damage after three, uh, which, oh, what was that again? Uh, After three, I think, million children treated, no parent will call this mild. The the bottom line, the point is, I forget, this is dangerous. And that the children, as, as we've made entire points about on the show, where I think it was 26 to 55%, something in that range, of, of children will have, la- it will increase, oh no, that's what it was. It was within the next three years, it increases their mortality by 26 to 55%. That's with non-serious myocarditis. That's directly from the NIH. So because they just act like in this moment, it, it seems to dissipate that we don't recognize the long-term problems. That's what anybody honest is telling you. There is no such thing as a non-serious case of heart problems. But they're all lying to you. Now here's Chief Nerd saying standardized autopsies, or those saying the opposite are lying to you. Standardized autopsies were performed on 25 persons who had died unexpectedly and within 20 days after SARS-CoV-2 injections. In four patients who received an mRNA vaccination, 
they identified acute myocarditis. Yeah, this is important because it breaks down. And as always, he includes the link. Thank you. This breaks down. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the conclusion speak for itself. And it says standardized autopsies were performed on 25 persons who died unexpectedly within 20 days, right in that window where, the, where even in Scotland, they still pretend that counts as unvaccinated. Let that speak volumes. In four patients who received an mRNA vaccination, we identified acute epimyocarditis without detection of another significant disease or health constellation that may have caused an unexpected death. Histology showed patchy interstitial myocardial T lymphocytic infiltration predominantly of the CD4 positive subset associated with mild myocyte damage. Overall, autopsy findings indicated death due to acute arrhythmogenic cardiac failure. Thus, myocarditis can be a potentially lethal complication following mRNA-based, specifically, SARS-CoV-2 injections. I mean, this is just more peer-reviewed science finding quite literally the opposite of what they keep screaming. This is real, and people are being hurt by this. It's quite obvious. Now, we've always known this if you're paying attention because the evidence is very, very, very clear. And in fact, we've shown many times that their evidence of whether myocarditis can cause, or rather that COVID can cause it, if it's even there, is not real. The evidence at the highest level is showing us that there is no connection between the two, despite minor observational studies saying otherwise. It's very obvious. The problem is that they're ignoring all of this. Now we've got peer-reviewed science telling us quite clearly, yeah, it's obviously there's a connection. And the 20-day part of it, that goes back to the video we just talked about, right? We, this is the video, if you want to watch it, it talks about exactly that. The Alberta link that shows you the cases, hospitalizations, and death, the vast majority of all of them take place within the first 21 days, between 14 and 21 days. That spike is all of it. And they, at some point, realized that and said, perfect, we'll just pretend nothing counts until after 21 days. That's what they're doing. And that's what we're talking about here. Now, we just talked about this mod RNA lie, which I just want to include again, because even in here, what are they talking about? mRNA-based injections. It's not the reality, guys. It's important to understand that we're talking about modified synthetic messenger RNA. It's not the same thing. One doesn't break down as much or really at all, and the, and, and the other one does, and the other one ultimately affects your DNA directly based on previous work on exactly what this is. And that's probably why they don't want you to know that's what's happening, which is why I want to include this. Remember this post about Tom Renz pointing out the, the Missouri bill, which we should be supporting and showing that they're very clearly putting these mRNA injections in animals and lying about it? Well, this weatherman chimed in and said, mRNA is in anything living, including every cell in your body. Library cards are free, by the way. Well, yeah, messenger RNA is a natural thing. But he doesn't know what he's talking about. As I said, well, that's why it's important to actually read and not just tout the virtues of the outdated, non near non-existent library card while you're using the internet. My point, it's actually mod RNA, genetically modified, not mRNA. It's in the documentation you apparently haven't read. And then Tom Rents actually followed up and said, nice on that T-Lab. Lab-created synthetic mRNA is most certainly not in every living creature. <laughs> and he says, I've used my card. This guy might want to use his. And I'm glad he pointed that out. And then get this. Yesterday, this guy had the nerve to follow up. You know what he said? mRNA is mRNA. He's clearly not that bright, or he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, I'm just, it's kind of embarrassing. And he says, molecules are molecules. So he either completely missed the point 
or maybe it's a typo, maybe meant mod on it. I don't even know. But he says, no difference, but keep going down that rabbit hole. Oh, classic. Conspiracy theory! Like that wins every argument. But take a college chem class first. Think about the smug hubris it takes to be that wrong and just push back. As I said, I can't believe you doubled down. These jabs verifiably contain mod RNA, synthetic or modified mRNA, not natural mRNA, which is messenger RNA. Very different. I provided you with the source material I did up there, direct from Pfizer, yet you chose to remain ignorant and to misinform people. That's sad. It is. Of course, he won't follow up unless he does. I mean, it's right in the documentation, guys. This is from Pfizer's own post. And of course, we went through this at length. But here's the problem we deal with, guys, is people listen to people like this. God knows why, but they do. And they're so certain about themselves or they don't care. They're lying and people fall for it. Question everything. And then at last point on this, Aussie 17 points out, any takers? This is happening. mRNA va- flu vaccine trial. Now, something in me tells me that it's already probably happening somewhere. Call me a conspiracy theorist. But either way, more mRNA, whether it's trials or not, it's getting put into the world. More mRNA in more people's bodies, more shedding, spreading, and so on, and how this works, and who, who knows what this is. We've talked about the idea of all the things that they have argued they should do without you knowing over and over and over. I don't know why we can't question that. <laughs> That's how I responded. And, you know, I linked to the mod RNA point just because I want people to remember that. Now, where are we at here on time? Let's, let's, let's get into something else that really, really was important, I think. And this is going back to the topic we just talked about. Now, I'm going to kind of quickly go through some of these points, but I wanted to give a shout out again to Destiny, Destiny Resendez. And I'll put up this interview likely tomorrow so you guys can check out our discussion. She did some really great work on the overlap with the company that Moderna hired to make these injections and showing you this DOD department of, you know, this is a military overlap and, and as well an intelligence level overlap and why any of that makes sense with the conduct with the creation of injections. Well, because it's not just about injections. It's it's bigger than that. Close some of these really quickly so we can finish this up. Oh, there's more to go guys. We got a lot more to go. There we go. Okay. So back to Destiny's thread. You can check this out for yourself. It's really important. It's really interesting. And we go through this and we find some very important overlaps. And it was actually her research that kind of opened up a couple more thoughts for me that made me push further and find that. Check out her thread. She's really doing some, she's very intelligent. She's doing really great work here. Ties to Jeffrey Epstein, CIA, Rockefeller. There's very obvious eugenics overlap to all of this. And then she puts the point, top it off, this company, that's changed its name numerous times. Like, and this, that was one of the main points I want to make here as she points out that they changed their name and it's nanotherapeutics, nanosphere, Inc, ology bioservices. That's one of the important ones. And yet they want you to pretend this is brand new from 2020. It just started. Well, no, it's clearly been kind of a shell game and they want to pretend it's a new upstart. $32 million. No, it's worth about 2 billion. It's, it's, it's tr- clearly, it seems to me to be a fr- a kind of a, a cutout that we're supposed to pretend is a new revolutionary thing that's been being built for a long time. And it does involve the research and the, the technology into the injection and elsewhere from the Langer Lieber overlap. And she says, top it all off. This company, this, this bios company was just picked in January of this year to lead the Davos panel on cybersecurity. Ask yourself why a biopharmaceutical company would be involved with cybersecurity. It's right there, guys. There's something else going on. 
And there's something else that I think at the very least is potentially happening in the future, if not already, in regard to this biopharmaceutical overlap in regard to security, monitoring, surveillance, which is exactly where the, the Lieber-Langer overlap comes into play. Now, I pointed this out in our interview, and we'll get into this again tomorrow with that interview when it plays, but just really quickly, that the resilience company, which again is the same ones as the other names, had raised over $800 million in 2020. Remember, this is not the new version. They wanted you to think it was new, but it was just been reformed, and they raised more money to manufacture COVID-19 injections. Now, one of the groups that put up a lot of the money, Arch Venture Partners. Now, it says operating uh, partners from uh, the, oh, just first of all, really quickly in regard to resilience, part, yep, Scott, Scott, uh, Scott Gottlieb from the FDA works with this group. You've got all sorts of overlaps. Um, oh, this isn't even the right page. Anyway, sorry, I'm just remember the stuff we talked about. Similar to Amazon Web Services, resilience will empower drug developers with tools to more fully align to discovery, development, manufacturing. Now, anyway, the point is Arch Ventures partners put a bunch of money forward. Well, here they are, four recent moves, December 19, 2022. Well, they specialize in backing early stage med companies, even though it's not what it is. So they want you to think that, but it says they $75 million in the Series C financing well, came from, and specifically in regard to brain machine interface, of course, the obvious overlap. Well, Bezos, Amazon, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Microsoft, just to show you that overlap, first of all. Here's Resilience, the company in 2020. Oh, this is what I was going to say before. You've got overlaps here with the CEO of Novavax, which, by the way, was also being funded by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You've got the Arch Ventures Partners uh, chairman, right there, or rather the uh, co-founder right there as one of the board members of Resilience. But that makes sense because they're funding it. But then you've got the CEO of InQtel as one of the founding members and the board members. You've got the former CEO of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Johnson & Johnson, FDA, Johnson & Johnson, FDA. You see where this is going. Now, here is Ology from the Wayback Machine, of course, because most of the stuff you can't find anymore. And you'll find out some interesting overlaps with this company in particular. I found, and that, so the whole point is about how this is a, the impetus for Moderna's side of it for the beginning to create the COVID injections. Now, I continue to try to show people the overlap to the research coming from Charles Langer, or excuse me, Charles Lieber, and the nanosensor monitoring virus size transistor concept from 2011, which was the impetus for the injections and the overlap, and the fact that these two worked together, Bob Langer and Charles Lieber, and then Langer went on to work directly with the injections using the same research. And then you can, cl then you can show things like this. Microchip drug delivery devices. MIT. Robert Langer. And specifically... Well, hold on. <laughs> there it is. Ology Bioservices. Okay, so now you've got the connection between the beginning, the resilience manufacturing of the injections, the company that it became, a patent working on specifically microchip, microchip drug delivery devices, implantables, and, and, and Robert Langer. Now, my point is simply to go, well, is there an overlap here <clears throat> with the injections? And I, that's just, these are just these questions I was able to ask because there's clearly, and if it's not, it's obvious this is where it wants to go. And just in case you thought, you know, Robert S. Langer, that is his name. 
Now here, in case you forgot, is the point that he is the academic co-founder of Moderna. And here is the ology bioservices point. And here it says right here that they were acquired by National Resilience. But the point was that you can see that they have a government overlap. For specifically, Ology was awarded the contract in 2020 to develop an advanced monoclonal antibody therapy for COVID-19. And more from there. So we have an overlap again with Ology and directly tied to the government and DOD to work on projects for COVID-19. And you can see this perfect circle tying back to all this research. Now you're asking why that matters if you haven't seen this in regard to this research. Well, let me show you. Because the point is where this research comes from is where this is going right now. So it's interesting that we sort of got this deviation for this point in the middle of it that I think was almost about normalizing this with people to push us into the next step, or maybe that's already what happened. Either way, here is a post from 2022. MIT timed drug release tech opens door to self-boosting vaccine. This is 2022. So you can point out all the way back to 2011, this is the impetus of the research. You can point out Langer working on this before COVID-19 then getting tapped to work on the injections. And just before that was actually working specifically on microchip drug released delivery devices. From childhood immunizations to COVID-19, multiple staggered vaccine doses are key to providing full protection against pathogens. But can the doses be delivered all at once and lie dormant until the right time? Well, that's pretty concerning. That is the question at the heart of new research from MIT. The researchers described the analysis of the release mechanism from biodegradable core shell microparticles. The understanding, by understanding how and when the particles degrade to release their payloads, the team pointed to the potential to create single shot vaccines that both prime and boost the immune system. Now, that's not a, a, a fancy wording they're literally talking about injecting you with something that can time release multiple doses over different time periods and when we talk about the idea of particles degrading and the payloads delivering in your body that is charles lieber's research that literally is the concept of delivering a payload using the fatty lipid layer to be able to insert this into a cell membrane via the fusion used to engulf viruses and bacteria it is the exact same topic from the injection to the brain-machine interface. It's all the same stuff we're talking about. So realize that this might very well be what is being built or what already happened. Quote, we believe these core, especially right now as they're screaming that nobody's taking the vaccines anymore. We believe these core shell particles have the potential to create a safe, single injection, self-boosting vaccine in which the cocktail of particles with different release times can be created by changing the composition. With a single injection, approach the such a single injection approach has the potential to not only improve patient compliance but also increase cellular and hormonal immune responses robert langer one of the senior authors said in his statement in the study the researchers showed that plga the biocompatible polymer used to make the particles is gradually cleaved by water when enough polymers have broken down the lid of the particle becomes porous and soon thereafter breaks to release the payload. Now realize that could be, you know, medicine or it could be something much more dangerous. If you want to release to the particle to release after six months for a certain application, we use corresponding polymer. If we want it to release after two days, we use another polymer. A broad range of applications could benefit from this observation. Yeah. Or, you know, something much more concerning. Well, going back to 2015, 
Again, this is exactly what he was working on. And this is what we're talking about in relation to the patents overlapping with the very same companies that were building in regard to the ejections and the overlap with Langer's Reacher and round and round it goes. The point though in this one, right here, is the same thing, the implantable microchip-based device. Could soon replace injections. Well, why didn't that happen? It's weird how we put, got pushed back. When we're talking about the wirelessly controlled implantable microchip-based devices that can store these release drugs in your body, it's the same thing. 2015. Okay, well, it's weird. He then got into the injection business and COVID-19 made all of that using the same technology, but weirdly, this doesn't even play a factor. But now it's being discussed again as the next step. None of that makes sense to me. And of course, this is being funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who is intricately involved with the injection event 201 and the entire discussion. Then it goes on to say, but in 2011, Langer and Seema and the researchers from Microchips conducted the Microchips' first human trials to treat osteoporosis. Yeah, 2011. And you know what they used? The same research. The same research that they succeeded with in 2011 with Charles Lieber. This is exactly the same stuff. And the Gates Foundation took interest. Now, this one is from 2021. Oh, and this was just to simply show you the COVID-19 production, same company. And the 2015 overlap with Charles Lieber's most recent research, which is the same thing. Injectable meshes for neural recordings. And this is the 2023 version. Talking about neural cortex and, or excuse me, visual cortex and retinas and, you know, all this kind of stuff. The bottom line is biological surveillance, which is exactly where we started. That's what all this seems to have been about. At least in, in a large part, the, the focus I'm having on today. Now, there's not many different reasons this is happening. Now, I wanted to overlap that with something that Whitney wrote about in 2022. As it says, national resilience, and this is the point that, that uh, Destiny broke down, that it, they claimed that it was founded in 2020, but it really turns out that there was more of a shell company game going on. Well, she writes here that in uh, April 2021, National Resilience acquired Ology Biological Services, and it says Resilience was co-founded by biotech venture capitalist Robert Nielsen. Nielsen was one of the earliest investors in Illumina. Illumina is is closely tied to DARPA equivalent of the Welcome Trust, known as Welcome Leap. We've talked about that. I think the title of the episode with Whitney and I was a Welcome Leap into the Future, and they're really driving us in the same direction. However, it says, while Nielsen has been given much of the credit for creating resilience, he revealed in one of his interviews that the idea for the company had actually come from someone else, Luciana Borio. At the time of their conversation, Borio was the vice president of InQtel. So guess what? The vice, the, the vice president of basically the CIA, not of a CIA cutout, somebody who's in tie up with the CIA was the actual mind behind the creation of the company that's become a shell game for this nanotechnology direction that later became the company that created the very stuff that's being used with Bob Langer to make the COVID-19 injections. If you don't see the overlap of the intelligence game and the DARPA and military game, you're just not paying attention. Borio is currently a senior fellow for global health at the Council on Foreign Relations, a consultant to Goldman Sachs, a member of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Vaccine Alliance, CEPI, and a partner at Nielsen's venture capital firm, Arch Venture Partners. You know, the group that funded the very group that was actually more behind the scenes, Jeff Bezos, Gates, and everything else. It says, which funds resilience? Nielsen's Arch previously funded Nanosys. Yeah, the company that was owned by Charles Lieber. It's not, it's everywhere you look. Now, if you want more on this in general, these were just connected points that weren't included in the show. Here's the actual 
episode from nanotechnology to COVID-19 technocracy. Here's one where Whitney and I talk about the Bob Langer common denominator and his ties to Charles Lieber. And, you know, this is just, I showed this recently, just the current search of nanobots. People don't know where this is right now. I just talked about the xenobots. These are all real conversations. In tw- this one's 2023. New nanobots can find their way into inflamed sites in the body. And we're at a point of smart dust in this whole conversation. This becomes really, really concerning that people don't even know what's happening. And that's why I wanted to bring up an older discussion that somebody shared with me that you can't find now if you try to look it up. But on the way back machine, you can. Which is the time back in 2010 when Hewlett Packard and uh, who was the other one? It was, I think, a shell or some other random group decided that they were going to use nanosensors and spread them around the world, which they called the Central Nervous System for the Earth, or SENSE. A project of Hewlett Packard Labs is revolutionizing the way information is gathered, communicated, and analyzed. They consist of a highly intelligent network of billions of nanoscale sensors designed to feel, taste, smell, see, and hear what's going on in the world. Gee, I wonder why they deleted this. Sense combines breakthrough innovations from HP Labs and nanotechnology-enabled sensors. So we're literally talking about exactly the nano-sensor surveillance discussion. Examples of potential sense uses include roads, buildings, bridges, other infrastructure, machines such as those used in airplanes, manufacturing plants, organizations that use that work on health and safety issues, such as the contamination of food, water, disease control, and patient monitoring. So literally everything. It's just everywhere in the world monitored all the time. The sensors will have the potential to smell a gas leak, monitor the speed of volume on freeway traffic, sense wear and tear on a bridge, or, guess what, track the spread of the next flu virus. It's where this was meant to go. This is not a joke. This is this is on Wikipedia. Sense or it's the central nervous system of the Earth, Hewlett Packard, one of the place sensors everywhere. Real. And yeah, it was shell random. Of course, it's always good when a gas company and you know one of the merchants of death get involved. But sensor nerve uh, the central nervous system for the earth. All I want to point out here was it says HP Labs has joined the race to build an infrastructure for the emerging internet of things. And that's one of the main points here. And realize that they say the race to build. Ah, so apparently somebody else was working at it too. I bet you that's already been done. You know, we're talking about the 5G and even the 6G discussion here. This is not even being, they're not even asking whether we want this. They're not asking whether it's dangerous. They, they haven't even fully studied 5G. We're already talking about 6G. Now here are some of their documents. Now I'm actually just, because we've been going on so long tonight, we're almost three hours. I'm probably just going to let you guys read this for yourselves, but this is the breakdown of their documentation. Central nervous system for the earth will impact humans' interactions on Earth profoundly, and they get into some pretty interesting things in all of this. This brain for processing information, uh, really the main point, I think, was ultimately the way they break this down. They really are talking about ubiquitous all around the world, taste, smell, touch, sound, sight, everything. Safety, sustainability, right? It's all the same stuff. One trillion sensors around the world. That's pretty scary. And realize that if we're talking about the same research, that this is 2010, mind you. Less than a year later, Charles Lieber was succeeding at making virus-sized transistors, nanotechnology the size of viruses, and his point very clearly says that when, they, when, when man-made structures are as small as bacteria, well, they act like biology. 
Wouldn't even know the difference. That's what he says anyway. That it's like science fiction, but it's real. Right. So we need to be asking that about this right here. Of whether or not this was something that was already distributed. Something that's out there that we don't even know about or in certain things we're using. GPS denied, dead rat, all these different overlaps to literally everything. Also the point that this is what they show you, which remember the point they make about this? I mean, literally, if less than a year later, they're making virus-sized transistors, and the point is, yeah, maybe this is a different, they're not the same thing, right? Maybe the more technology needed to what they want to do, but even then, I could prove to you that what they're talking about, these basic RFID concepts, it was infant, like smaller, way smaller than what they're showing you there. I find that interesting. Nano-optical antennas. Smart highways, same data, like that's the monitoring of traffic and so on. Uh, just one of, one of the points I wanted to show you in here, you know, talking about cloud data, networking and so on, but it gets into, where was it? Oh yeah, decisions in machine, decisions for humans, decisions by humans. Everything as a service. All this stuff sounds very familiar. IT, Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies, moving sense forward. Very interesting. Now, here is another interesting overlap. Sent This actually sent to me by the same person. Thank you. Shout out to Nick Ballo for sharing this with me. Breakthrough technologies driving successful energy harvesting. Energy harvesting power products. Successful energy harvesting powered products. March 18th, 2020, 2014. Interesting time frame in general, right? As we're talking about the 2015 research, but it goes on to say breakthrough technologies for energy harvesting success. Now, this comes from this this group right here, the PSMA, the Multinational Power Electronics Association. So this is not a joke. And it says, you know, the overlap of this, the, eco- the economics behind energy harvesting and so on. The key trends driving innovation of internet of everything. See, this is the same point and wearable technology. So it's interesting that in 2014, we're talking about wearable tech, internet of everything, and then harvesting energy from that. But we don't hear that today. That's pretty scary. New innovative products are smarter, smaller, wireless. There will be billions of network devices, new efficient and cost-effective powering solutions needed. Well, they're, they're getting some pretty creepy stuff right now. I'll show you next. Energy harvesting applications found in every industry segment can be harvested from almost any environment. Energy can be harvested from light, vibration, flow, motion, pressure, magnetic fields, RF. Yeah, a lot of that's your body they're talking about. Ideal solutions is highly efficient. And there's the EEE, the energy harvesting powering of the internet of everything. Well, look at what they're showing there. Your phone, your tablets, right? All this stuff. All these things are possible Sources of energy. 25 years of evolution, fixed computing to internet of everything. And you can see it says fixed computing, internet of things. Different step right there. That's 2013. Internet of everything. I think there's one other point. You know, IBM, of course, Google, all, you know, the, the good guys, right? Wearable tech market. Eight, energy harvesting powered wireless sensor block diagram. It's not hard to understand what they're talking about here. Energy harvesting transducers. What ambient energy is available? Light, vibrational, thermal. 
I think that's basically what I want to show them. They'll, they'll finish this off, guys. This is where we're at now. January 6, 2023. Scientists want to use people as antennas to power 6G. This is a real conversation, popular mechanics. The future of 6G telecommunications would come from visible light communication. Well, that was one of the options they put forward in this document back in 2014. Researchers at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, believe using humans as part of the antenna system offers the most efficient way to harvest waste energy. Of course, it's just about safety and efficiency. That's it. Just do what's right for everybody. Take it on the chin for Putin, right? Or whatever, whatever their narrative is right now. Just do it because it's best, it's the best thing for everybody. Is it though? And even if it was, that argument is not what we should be listening to. This collectivism mindset is not right because it's abuse from the government perspective, let alone anybody else's. But it says we don't yet know exactly how 5G wireless technology is going to work. <laughs> I mean, get that, right? So we're at a point where they're saying we don't even know how it works, but we're sure as hell going to get into it, right? Well, we haven't even flushed out the 5G discussion, have we? How much money has the industry committed to supporting additional independent research? And we're talking about research on the biological effects of this new technology. There are no industry-backed studies, to my knowledge, right now. So, essentially, the answer to my question, how much money? Zero. Uh, I can certainly follow up with you, Senator. To my knowledge, there's no active studies being backed by industry today. Anybody else know of industry commitments to, to back research, fund it, support it, to ascertain scientifically the health effect? Well, I'm not aware of any. So there really is no research ongoing. We're kind of flying blind here so far as health and safety is concerned. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So that that's fantastic, right? So that wasn't that was a, a, while, a little bit ago, right? But the point is the same. When that was done, this was already being rolled out. They were already working on this. They were already this was in real life, and they're sitting there going, "We've never even studied this." You know, when you sit there going, "How is that even possible?" Just realize that we are in a broken system. It's the illusion of process. The only way things like that can happen is that is in a situation where we have what we're looking at is not what's actually happening. Right. So here we are already skipping into the next part of this where they're talking about using your body instead. Sounds great. They believe they can use your body to harvest wasted energy. It says VLC. That's the, the light version. I was uh, I forget what it was. It says visible light communication is quite simple and interesting. Instead of using radio signals to send information wirelessly, it uses the light from LEDs that can turn on and off and up to one millisecond times per millisecond or one million times per second what's interesting is that you th this whole push for led lights for a long time has been weird because all these studies have shown that they're unhealthy and maybe there's something to that i don't know either way it's kind of it seems i've always wondered why those are pushed in office buildings and whatever else but and maybe it's just benign but or not benign but somewhat just a random cheap choice led bulbs can then transmit data and anything with a camera like our smartphones tablets laptops could be the receiver that's crazy. After experimenting with wires, coils, and background and backgrounds, the scientists realized the human body actually offers up the best medium, up to 10 times better than any other setting tested. 
They then built a bracelet for it. Here we go. First step, an inexpensive gadget that is meant to be worn on the forearm, but can adapt into a ring, belt, or necklace to harvest lost energy. Yeah, and then maybe, oh, well, we can implant it if you want. Enough to support on-body health monitoring sensors. Of course, that's where it goes. Think about the grand idea we're talking about, and they boil that down to monitoring health sensors. I mean, it's just so clumsy. That's what we're talking about, guys. Using people as antennas to power 6G. Not fake news. Of course, you just simply say this on Twitter. People go, oh, you're such a conspiracy theorist, as is literally being rolled out. Thank you, Nick Ball, for pointing this out. Now, the last points I want to make here, just on the overlap of this technology, you know, rapidly this is being pushed forward. And yes, things like lab-grown meat does overlap with this stuff. I just want to make a couple quick points to show you how it doesn't matter about whether this is actually better. They'll sell you on the narrative because it's about something other than stopping climate change or keeping you healthy. New Scientist writes on May 9th, lab-grown meat could be 25 times worse for climate than beef. Yeah, of course. An analysis finds the carbon footprint of cultivated meat is likely to be higher than beef if current production methods are scaled up. You know how dumb this is? This is just like the idea of the, the lithium, and the, or rather, the, you know, the um, solar panels. And they, th what they do is they look at the current situation and they go, well, that's not that bad. Well, it's not even, not even a fraction of the scale and compare that to this over here and go, oh, it's so much worse. Okay, so you take lab-grown meat and you go, well, what we're doing right now barely produces anything. Compare that to our argument that's completely ridiculous about cows and methane and really breathing, not even farts. They don't understand their own argument. Well, when you actually scale this up, according to this research, it turns out it's worse. Gee, so I, they are either that stupid that they literally didn't even care to look, or it was never even about that, which is really what I think this is as I said, which tells you it's not truly about stopping climate change. In my opinion, it is about controlling the food supply and through that, you. From there, any number of very concerning overlapping topics could be discussed on what that power could allow to take place. That's pretty simple to understand. Now here is Steve Malloy pointing out, just on a climate change point, devastating for the climate change narrative, Carbon-14 dating shows that only 12% of atmospheric CO2 added since 1750 is actually man-made. Much too low to be the cause of global warming. Now, you can dispute this and dismiss it all you want, but you can't. For the people screaming, trust the science, here is a peer-reviewed scientific study. Doesn't that matter? Either you're a hypocrite and, and a child, or you can acknowledge that maybe you're wrong and maybe the science is finding something you didn't know. I'm willing to consider the science saying that climate change is real and I'll read through it and look at it and compare it to the other side. And when you really do break this stuff down, I think it's childishly obvious that this is a misrepresentation. Not that we're not destroying the planet. That's very clear to me. But the carbon discussion, carbon tax, and the, what they're doing, they're, they're lying to us, guys. It's just that simple. Now, yes, that's my opinion, but please ask questions. Of course, this guy posts a scientific study. Alex says, would be nice to get some community notes on this. I love that Kirby says, your misguided angst on the issue amuses me. <laughs> I just love that comment. The point is, this guy with a Ukraine flag in his, in his bio is like calling. The point is, they just want that they disagree. And they feel it's unjust that Community Notes isn't calling him out because I disagree. What do you, it's a scientific study. 
right? So what community notes do you, what do you expect them to do? We think otherwise. It's a study. The science found that. So shut up, man, and say, I disagree. Here's my study or whatever. But to act like it's false just because you don't like what it shows means you don't trust the science, even though we never should trust the science. We should be trusting the scientific method, which he doesn't do either. It's just sad how childish a lot of this is. Susan Dahl points out, Associated Press in 1989, quote, Entire nations could be wiped out by rising seas by the year 2000. The Guardian, 2004. Major European cities will go underwater due to rising sea levels and Britain plunges into Siberian climate by 2020. Now, of course, they're arguing that it's only gotten worse, that we haven't actually done it. So they can't make this argument that because we've spoken up, we've stopped it. No, that's not happening either, according to your own narrative. So they're lying to you guys. They always have been. That doesn't mean we're not hurting the planet. In court, the U.S. military is the biggest polluter on the planet. Now, the frozen pixel points this out. I just want to share this. This is a great read if you haven't seen it. The corporate push for synthetic foods. False solutions that endanger our health. Right? So the point is it's everywhere, guys, and they are rushing this stuff out. I frankly think it's more than just the food supply. But as I said here, this is well, this says WSU becomes the first university to put gene-edited livestock using CRISPR. And that overlaps with the same gene therapy discussion into food supply right now, guys. As I said, remember, it's not just mRNA or actually mod RNA that's in the food. It's just one of the many current problems. Protect the food supply. And James Neville points something very interesting out when we're talking about the, the farmland, both in the United States as well as overseas, being bought up. As he says, since 2017 in the Netherlands, a group of investors have been planning the construction of a tri-state city, a metropolis, a mega or a, a mega megalopolis. I've never seen that word with a population of around 45 million, extending across the Netherlands, Germany, and Belgium. Clearly, in the mindset of this kind of like non no borders and whatever else, which it's just not naive. It's not going to happen unless they destroy everything, which is what they're trying to do. It says for this is to happen. Well, guess what? They obviously need to buy up a lot of farmland, don't they? Well, gee, isn't that what they seem to be doing? Creating the circumstances, both legally and just how are they both forcefully to get rid of all these farmers and just take them? Well, yeah. So, you know, we, we have the thought and likely logically so that this is about food supply and, and control the food. But maybe there's also something else going on. Maybe it's that they realize that they need infrastructure, industrial infrastructure to be able to produce the kind of fake meat nonsense they want to be able to circumvent the food so they can take the land they want for the bigger picture in their mind. The smart cities, right? The, the Agenda 2030 concepts. They do think this far ahead in certain circumstances, right? So if the idea is, well, we need these large areas in certain areas, these places like this for these megatropolis or whatever he called it. And in doing so, we're going to destroy the actual agriculture. So that means we need to grow this kind of food, which then means we would need, you know, and this is how this works. The point is, consider the possibility. That's all I'm saying. That maybe more about what this is, what this is, including in the United States. This one's from 2022. Bill Gates actually wins the legal approval to buy, and we talked about it before, a huge swath of North Dakota farmland. And residents there are upset about it. Maybe there's more about it than just food supply. I mean, I, quite frankly, think very clearly that's the case. Now, to be clear in this, as I pointed out before, he's amassing about 270,000 acres, and it's, it's more than that now. 
But the point they make, which is fair, which is that's only about 1% of the 900 million total farm acres. But that only matters in the sense of, well, first of all, it's important that any one person has control of that much, but also on the point that not all farmland is created equal, is it? Certain crops, certain locations are very, very important. How much you want to bet, and I mean, I'm not even betting, you can look at what he's buying and realize that that's exactly what's happening. So yes, he doesn't have 99%, but he has the most important 1%. And that's how this game is played. And they're lying to you about damn near everything we're talking about here today. So hopefully you will continue to fight for this and continue to put this in front of people that need to see it. So thank you for tuning in again today. Another three-hour banger. A lot of good information to get out there. Hopefully you'll clip this up and share it with everybody. But thank you for supporting Last American Vagabond. For those of you that are still here after three hours, as always, we need to continue. You know, we need continued support because not only are we growing, and as you can see, we're adding more writers, we're getting new equipment. You know, I, I mean, I'm bringing on all sorts of things. And as I said, Scott and I are just talking about some big moves here that we don't have anything other than you guys supporting us. There's no advertising. There's no secret funding like all these other big platforms. You are the only reason we exist. And so that means we need continued support. So if you want to support this platform, first and foremost, share the content. I would, If you're sitting there considering one donation and sharing the content, share the content. I care more about that than anything else. Get it in front of somebody. Talk about it. But if you have the means and you're willing to support this because you believe in what we're doing, because we do it the right way, because we're not hawking flashlights and selling you stuff, and I give you all the source material, and we allow that kind of, then, then reach out. We have all sorts of ways to support us, from Truth Clothing and buying our t-shirts, to Cash App, to Subscribestar, to Buy Me a Coffee, to the direct donation on the website, to our Substack subscriptions, to a lot of different ways you can reach out to the direct mailing. All of it's in the description beneath the video. We need your support, guys, because we have plans. And if you believe in what we're doing, reach out. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. From the President's office in the White House in Washington, D.C., we present an address by the President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. In holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite.